So you know about Jeff Buckley? Uh, no, I mean, there's a lot of people in Memphis that don't know who Jeff Buckley even, I mean, was who he is. And I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that after he passed, I mean, was selling millions and millions of records. And ironically enough, like Australia, Jeff Buckley is like a household name. You know, there's, there's certain countries, certain parts of the world where, I mean, Zach Myers, who's a, a, a local here, musician here, well, not a local musician, but he's from Memphis, but yeah. he's in arguably one of the biggest rock bands in the world, Shinedown. He got to hold Jeff Buckley's Stratocaster, the same yellow Stratocaster that Jeff Buckley played, I think, on this on this BBC radio station back in the 90s, where he introduced himself to the world. And everyone knows Jeff Buckley when they hear the song Hallelujah on like a soundtrack, which is, you know, a rewrite. <clears throat> He didn't write the song. It's just that his voice is just one of a kind. And his last show uh, was at uh, a club called Barristers downtown. Uh, he had performed. And, you know, I, I was I, I wish I was at that show, but I was not. I'm sure it was like on a school night because I want to say it was like <laughs> mid 90s. You know, uh, um, he he I want to say he had an apartment in a. A downtown Memphis, and you know, ironically enough, he and he and the owner of uh, New Daisy Theater, Mike Glenn, uh, which you can actually get on YouTube, and uh, you know, there's an interview with Mike Glenn on Bill Street in the news the morning they found Jeff uh, Buckley's body, like right where, and they found his body right where Bill Street basically runs into the river. You know, he had gone out that night, and I mean, it was a, a from what I understand, and again, this story has been told a million different ways, but the most accurate that I know of, uh, Jeff Buckley and uh, a few engineers, maybe touring engineers, I think he was about to go on tour, or just maybe friends. I have no idea. Um, <clears throat> 100% on that, but they were in the Mississippi River, and they just didn't realize how powerful the Mississippi River was. Now, also, it was the 90s, and back then, the drugs were quite pure from what I understand. So it could have been a mix of, of that, uh, being, you know, just, and, and the irony is, is some of his lyrics and a lot of his songs, it just, it, it's almost like he's talking about his own death. Mm. And that's, that is just, it is crazy, crazy. But I mean, this dude, Jeff Buckley was looked up by all from Chris Cornell, you know, God rest his soul to all of the greats know who Jeff Buckley is. And I mean, Memphis, there should be a statue of Jeff Buckley and guys like Sean Lane, you know, in downtown Memphis, you know, as is there, there should be some sort of huge, I mean, Sean Lane uh, invented the guitar sweep, you know, for, for, in my opinion, but Sean Lane was one of the best guitar players in the world to the point to where Eddie Van Halen, I think actually spoke a eulogy at his funeral or something. Oh, wow. I don't know if that matters, you know, or if that matter, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, Memphis really is one of those towns where like you just had no idea because it, it it was it's not like Nashville where it's like let's be the biggest we can be it's like hey <laughs> yo we're, we're we're a little introvert you know we like the the maybe the grit if you will of the city you know uh but I've always kind of appealed my music taste as well as subcultures to the you know the underground scene uh being that like barristers was one of the coolest clubs ever in Memphis. It was like in an alley uh, downtown, like kind of close to the rendezvous, but just like one of those random alleys. And it was like underneath like a parking garage. And I mean, you go up there on the weekend, you'd see 
maybe a hundred kids in the parking lot, you know, but there'd be like 300 kids in this club. That's almost like it's underground. It's, it's, it was such a cool spot. And I saw some amazing bands play there. You know, <clears throat> I saw, I think Incubus played there. system of a down, wow. uh, like some, uh, like when they were nobodies, when they were showing up in van and, and van and, uh, and, uh, I saw, you know, a lot of hardcore shows like earth crisis and, you know, that those were constantly running through Memphis. So it's kind of like, was that place like the antenna club after the antenna club? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I guess you could say that's, that's, that's definitely a comparison, the same style of music. Antenna club was legendary because I mean, you got clubs, you got bands like green day and, you know, uh, uh, REM used to come up from Athens and play that little club that unfortunately that was when I was like 12. <laughs> you know, so I missed that when my sister was old enough to go, she was older than me. And, uh, but she was, you know, she took me to go see neurosis on Thanksgiving night. And I, I want to say it was 1995. And that was one of the coolest performances I've ever seen. Uh, going to like a, a metal show like that on Thanksgiving night too, with your big sister. That was, a uh, and I just saw these guys up there, some dark kind of, but really into their music. And man, I really wanted to, I really wanted to do that. <laughs> I just thought that would be so cool. So was that the first time you got into music or were you already playing instruments before that? I was messing around. Like, I mean, I always grew up with, uh, with I, I, the piano was always around and my grandfather, um, had in his house. My, my uncle was one of the best guitar players ever, you know, uh, my father played guitar. I mean, he he won his high school talent shows, that kind of stuff. And then I think he was, you know, he was one of those more business oriented. Uh, my mom uh, was a touring musician out of college. Uh, she was a great singer. So we always, music was always around the house. My, my parents always had vinyl running, you know, and I always had music going and it was, it was encouraged for sure. Uh, but between seeing, some really amazing rock bands of the mid late nineties, like getting to see them when, when they were, I mean, I got to see the Deftones play on the adrenaline tour. It was, it was rad. I mean, they just Chino jumps front front flip off the new Daisy stage. And I'm a dumb 16 year old kid. That's happy about his foot slamming right in the side of my face. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and uh, yeah, he and Abe Cunningham, you know, in the back of the new Daisy theater, you could just walk back there and talk to the bands and, First Heineken I ever drank in my life, uh, Abe hunting, uh, Abe uh, Cunningham, uh, handed me, <laughs> like, you know, it was, it was, uh, just, just the memories like that and seeing these guys who are now like just superstars, seeing them or having the opportunity because getting to play the new Daisy theater or barristers, especially antenna, it was kind of like a rite of passage for a lot of these bands. They, you know, the cure played the antenna club, you know, I mean, some of, uh, uh, and I mean, you know, people forget that the music scene here used to have huge artists come through. I mean, I saw Rage Against the Machine and U2 at the Liberty Bowl. That was, wow. I mean, that was unreal, you know? But I mean, that, that it, I saw Tool play, I don't know how many times, at the Coliseum. Uh, so, I mean, it just, unfortunately, you know, it's it's gone down. But it's kind of on its way back up. There's a lot of artists that are that are really bringing it uh, bringing it back into spotlight. Do you think the Memphis music, is it Memphis music commission? Is that right? That puts on uh music fest, you know, that, or it's part of that or whatever. <clears throat> I'm working with a project right now called the, it's called the inheritance project. Uh, it's actually a, a 
I don't know if it's out of DC or Philadelphia, but it's, it's one that it's a, it's, they go to every single city and just project to project to project. I think they just wrapped up one in Lexington, Kentucky from what I understand. And now they're in Memphis and in 2023, they're going to launch a, a play event, you know, big ordeal. And the whole idea through sponsor sponsorship is to just get revenue generated within a scene and just, and so hundred percent of the proceeds go back into regenerating a scene as well as they're going to focus on education, you know, uh, uh, teaching artists. Cause I mean, they really want a lot of this money that they're raising to go into the hip hop community because that's thriving right now. Mm-hmm. And that's also a community like, Hey man, you know, I am out of date. I'll, I'll, I, the last time I bought a hip hop record, I think was dead Prez get free. <laughs> that was a <laughs> while ago. So I just, I, I went into uh, more the the metal scene, but I, I I was basically speaking at a couple of events just to to point out like, look, what's what good is signing a publishing deal or getting a kid a publishing deal if he has no idea what he's getting? He's just like, oh, I got a, a record deal. Or you're paying a kid ten thousand dollars who has never seen that kind of money before, and you get him to sign a deal where the residuals that you're making versus what he's doing. It's just, I mean, then there's 360 deals, which are like just not required anymore, you know, and uh, which is a death sentence to an artist in today's world, you know. Um, it's almost like predatory lending, you know, in a way. And that's the one thing that like, hey, you know, generating money within a community is a wonderful thing. But generating the education on how to use that money to the people you intend to help, that needs to be at least some sort of a priority, which we intend to do. You know, um, but because uh, I mean, some of the people that are involved in this, we, we have entertainment lawyers and 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 uh, oh, the wow, full spectrum. Awesome. You know, the, the so there's things that are being generated in Memphis on a, a much bigger scope than Memphis. You know, Memphis is is a it's it's always to me it's been a town like you just we're having a hard time realizing our own worth. You know, like what we're worth so much. At the same time, you know, no disrespect to Nashville. But there's definitely a completely different type of vibe as far as local music from Nashville to Memphis and Nashville. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to go over there uh, and uh, I mean, hustle and hustle hard and your competition is a whole lot and you're, you're going to, it's going to take a minute to get really get put on in a club. Whereas Memphis, you know, if you can play really play, really know what you're doing, you know uh, there's an open invitation a community here that is incredibly humble, accepting, you know, the, the, I play in about eight different cover bands. And I mean, some of these guys have been all over the world as musicians. Some of them are are the most, I mean, you're talking like I got to play with a Berkeley, a Berkeley graduate from like the seventies, like dude went to school with Mike Portnoy, that kind of good. Holy crap. Right. And I, you know, so getting thrown in a gig on that, there's certain names where I'm like, Oh my God, I get to play with that dude. This is going to be rad. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, there's a, um, I play with this in a, in a band called 30, uh, <clears throat> it was probably going to change names next year. Cause it's been like 30 second ego, 30 minute ego. <laughs> the name of it is just, you know, the name of it, I like the name, but it's just one of those, uh, we, picked some 90 songs. We went to high school with it and we got this guitar player in there where it's just like someone put in the CD and press play. I'm like one of those drummers like, man, I mean, I could do that if I really studied it, but I ain't got the time. You can kind of get what you get. But I mean, there are, (laughs) there are prodigies out there. And I think, you know, to their 
to, to their ultimate respect for sure. They can go to Nashville. They might be able to make it, you know, but they're going to stand out here because there's a lot of Nashville artists that could try to come over here and compete with some of these guys, some of these Memphis dudes. And I mean, you know, good pack a lunch. It's not going to be easy, you know? So, uh, well, like a lot of people that go to Nashville to play and stuff like that, right? Like, you know, like they're doing covers and doing their own songs while they're playing covers for their set, you know? It seems like there's so many of people doing that that Nashville's paying a lesser rate for that person's two hour gig or yeah. whatever. Because there's somebody will do for, let's say, 50 bucks and some drinks or whatever. Well, it's a catch 22. You might get paid less, but you get to play in front of, of five times the audience, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is, it is. Now, I mean, there's there's bars out there that are taking a percentage of bands' merchandise, which I think is disgusting. You know, what? if you if the profit margin off your beer isn't enough, and you need to, you need to make money off local bands, you need to fire whoever is doing your money management, and hire someone like me because it's totally in the budget to not have to do that. You know, I understand we're all struggling, but for God's sakes, you need you need a buck fifty off a t-shirt from a couple kids trying to get a start. Nobody ever did that to us, you know, and this isn't the first time it's been tough on our economy, you know, so bands, venue owners, and I use Mike Glenn as a prime example. That man opened up more doors for me in Memphis than, I mean, it's just unbelievable. He put me on in front of national acts to where it's like, Hey Ed, I know you're, you know, your cover band that's not, or not your cover band, but you know, your band, uh, original music, you guys are about to release a record. Uh, I got Il Nino coming through, you know, Memphis on a Tuesday night. It's, it's probably going to get you in front of 7,800 people. You know, you want to come down and sell your records and stuff. And of course we did. And we pick up so many fans, like diehard fans who went to every single event afterwards. We sold tons of records. We made a lot of money. Michael never asked for a dime. And if he had, if it was in the budget to pay me, pay us on top of that, he would, you know, it's gone from that to, Hey, I need a buck 50 on every t-shirt you sell. Now, are these like bigger bands performing in these venues that they're doing? Or is it no, just like the I mean, standard it, it, any it band? Could, it could be across the board, all right? But they're doing it to definitely to big bands, and it's becoming a big issue because the greed in this in, in, in the music community. See, I have, I have no skin in the game, and that's a lot of the reason why some, some of the, some of the, before some of this money is spent, I might get called in as a consultant. I'm not getting a fee for this. This is advice where it's like, I must go and warn the others because, oh, my God, I've been involved in some big projects that were run by people that weren't qualified to run a coffee stand. An opportunity taken. I've, I've, I've met a billionaire that told some kids from Memphis that were down on their luck that he was going to make them rich, and he didn't. All right, that is some cold shit. But you can find that in the music business. It's sad. Now, I've never, you know, I, I come cut from a little bit different cloth, being that, uh, you know, I'm not in music to try to get wealth. Wealth, being rich, that never really appealed to me. I've met some of the wealthiest people in the world and uh, through some of my ventures, and some of them have fantastic lives, and, and, and some of them, oh my God, I wouldn't want that on anybody, you know. And so it's just it it is irrelevant to me. However, giving someone at least the opportunity to feed themselves, you know, <laughs> in an industry that has fed plenty a lot, in which I've seen it feed other people a lot, uh, there's room for for it not to completely be destroyed to where music is now gone into just a bunch of people making it in their bedroom and live music is no longer needed. And I just, again, we live in a day where a dude with 
Hey, I like some of Post Malone's music, but I'm I'm just I'm sitting here looking at a dude with a microphone entertain a quarter of a million people. It's just the lights, dude, and a microphone. No band, no live music, and I don't care how good the music is. Like, how long do you think that's gonna last? You know, before people get. I mean, maybe I'm just one of those guys. Like, I grew up watching drummers like Buddy Rich and and live performers that you know, would make the beats in front of you. And you're like, how is, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Chamberlain from Smashing Pumpkins is the reason why I was like, man, I want to play drums for a living. You know, watching him play on Saturday Night Live, you know, it was, was unbelievable seeing a dude move behind a kit like that, you know? So how do you get inspired to get behind a drum kit or get behind a guitar when you see a dude with a microphone and a stage with a bunch of lights? And what happens if the lights aren't there? You know, the lights can go off on a rock show and it can still rock. That's you know? yeah, so, true. All right. Well, look at Helmet back in the day. Those dudes look like a bunch of guys that just got off work at like Walmart, jumped <laughs> on a stage and blew your mind, you know, and they're still doing it and they're still selling out clubs because we got older, but we still are so connected to that live music, that raw feel, you know, where sometimes it's good with tracks. I get a lot of bands use those backup tracks because they want to sound like the record and that's cool. And the, the big lights and the explosions and that's awesome. But the art of, you know, the underground clubs where it's, you know, it's still a little bit alive down out there in Memphis, but you see some kids in high school plug in their amps that they, you know, have been polishing up all week, trying to get sound right on a minimal budget through, you know, they don't need a bunch of crazy equipment. You know, there's barely even a PA. They just need some outlets and, you know, <laughs> and get yeah. that's that's there's an art to that, man. I watched a band um, at what's Lamplighter. Next, that's next to Zinnies, yeah, right? Yeah, man. I watched a band there, you know, that little side they have. Yeah. And, dude, I loved it. It was so fun. Like, I was waiting for some, you know, I was just waiting for some friends, you know, and stuff. But, like, it was fun hanging out there, just listening to that band. Just those, like you said, they're fucking kids, pretty much, man. They're right. young as shit. Yeah, dude, there's a lot of bands upcoming in Memphis that, you know, had to have a, I mean, there's a punk rock band called Lipstick Stains. They're, they're, uh, uh, those guys have been at it for a minute, too, for sure. Because, I mean, being that they, they go back and, and roots in Memphis for a while, uh, uh, of course, you got Jeremy Stanfill. He's one of the best singer songwriters. That guy, in my opinion, you know, he was in a band called Cripple Nation back in the day. That, in my my opinion, you know, I, I have some of their records memorized. They were just so good. And Jeremy Stanfill is, in my opinion, should be a a household name because he's just that. He's got a voice all of his own. And these are all local Memphis artists that you know they travel, but they come home and and they he <laughs> got got a CD right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, they travel, of course, you know, to make a little bit more money, get a little bit more notoriety because, you know, not that Memphis doesn't embrace their musicians. It's just that everything, you know, struggles to a certain extent uh, in every industry. The music industry has been struggling for a very long The entertainment business, the bar industry, everything, you know, COVID's kind of shaken it all up. Uh, but I think now because of COVID and because of the, sh you know, shortage, there's a shortage in labor, you know, to a certain extent. Uh, now, if you have any kind of entre entrepreneurial spirit, now's the best time to strike ever. You know, it's the best time to stand out, create a product with customer service that, and I mean, I'm not even talking about just music, just anything right now, because of it is a good time to step in front of the pack because everyone's finally starting from the same playing field. 
you know, and touring right now for even huge artists, they're, they're struggling. So there's no, there's no money in touring that we've just, everyone says that <laughs> like, you know, like there's not, there just isn't, you know? Well, how come there's not like, are you talking about for like, like all the acts or like, even the big ones are, are having a hard time, uh, simply because, you know, you can go through Congress and pass laws the best of your ability to try to get the artists paid out. But I mean, I've put pen to paper in a band's project when the CD burner came out on just how much CDs we were selling, you know, pre and post. And I mean, over a span of years, I've had in all of the projects, at least a quarter of a million dollars worth of revenue taken from me. There's no question, you know, uh, been doing this for 25 years. That's being really, really small with how much money, how much, you know, uh, how many bad contracts I've signed, like in a couple good ones, but mostly bad, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. And what can I do about it? Nothing, you know, like by the time they figure out any kind of litigation to, to see that like, Hey, black and white, here it is. Pay me. I mean, I'll be long dead if that day ever comes. Uh, the, again, like we were talking earlier, the expenses that it takes to make a product now, is on such a low level cost. And, you know, I understand everyone, you know, wants to be inspired. And I always inspire anyone to make music. No problem. Uh, but the facilities that used to be shut off to the general public to stand out are now just so open that because Spotify is not interested in making less money. So they get, you know, if you're an artist and you throw a song, onto Spotify, you upload a song, you're going to pay a fee. Now, I want to say that fee, last time I checked, was around 50 bucks. Spotify has forty to 60000 a day. I think on a slow day, it might be 20 Medium, 40 then crazy, you know, 60 That's how many uploads they have every day. Multiply that number by 50 bucks. A know? song or album? A song. Oh, song. shit. I thought it was an album. No, I, thought, I no, misunderstood no. you earlier then. No, 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 no. Uh, no, that's like, that's per single, right? Oh. So, you know, and dude, I'm sure there's a way to consolidate it to where the whole album, maybe you could. Like I'm not math. sure. But from what I understand, I mean, that's just what they get paid daily to just, you know, put the song up, you know? You do the math on that. Yeah, $3 million a day, you know? <laughs> now the subscription, I've, you know, now, yeah. now let's go there. And then, you know, I don't even don't ask me how the world of like publishing gets into Spotify and cross marketing and all that. But you just talk. We're talking about just an ungodly amount of money. I want to say for every million streams, right, an artist will get paid roughly around maybe four thousand dollars. OK, so that's a million streams. You buy a CD. All right, you can play the CD. I mean, if it's my favorite band, maybe 500 times. All right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I paid 20 bucks <laughs> for that CD. I, we're going back to the 90s on CDs yeah. now, you know? <laughs> so just the, the, now we were worried there when the CD burner came out, mm -hmm. you know, about a different set of problems, you know, about like just having that 20 bucks straight up stolen. And then Napster came out and then Metallica sues Napster and then Metallica gets. In a lot of, you know, it's almost like Metallica gets uh, uh, in a lot of grief for it. But I'm like, what they were trying to do was now, if if what they were doing and did had worked on levels across the board, 
musicians would be making more money, like a lot more. I don't know why they got, you know, like, oh, you're greedy. It's because, you know, that's just typical an artist, you know, talking about another artist that's already rich. Yeah. You'll never hear a broke artist, you know, go into any kind of a financial situation or discussion with a already rich artist and give that person any, I mean, it's, it's a rarity is basically what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, man. I remember. But don't you think that the people that demonize like Napster and the people that are pirating, pirating the stuff should mm-hmm. also demonize the companies that profit off the people 100%. because the people that made the CD burners mm-hmm. and like iPod, mm-hmm. I mean, all they're doing is just capitalizing off what the people were doing. Sure. So it's like I, I look at like what that part of it, but then I'm like, well, these are people who are making a shit ton of money off the the stuff that's actually making it available for people to pirate shit in the first place. Hey, if Purdue Pharmaceutical can get in trouble for making the pills that the doctors give out to the patients, I mean, there's a bit of a connection, you know. There's everyone made money, yeah, <laughs> except uh, the poor person. Well, out yeah, there who's either an addict or you know, but yeah, that's that's. I mean. That's a stretch, but we're kind of yeah. linking linking a little bit there. Uh, it's there. There's no such thing as there's a a financial justice complete disconnect between artists, and there kind of always has been to a certain degree, you know. But we're getting to the point now where <clears throat> you know payola has never truly gone away. It's just morphed into different things, you know. How do you get? that many releases in one day there's 24 hours in a day you know how do you get from that the the maybe two hours you know grab your calculator and do let's say let's hit them on a slow day do twenty thousand times that average is maybe let's go on a low end three minutes all right twenty thousand times three minutes you know 60 minutes I mean, 60,000. 60,000. Okay, sure. Minutes. So how, yes. Yeah, so, so <laughs> yeah, 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 I see what you're doing. That's right, okay. right. And so if that person wakes up, listens to the music, and it goes to bed, <laughs> we haven't even, so in other words, now payola has to, has to exist more than ever just to get, just to, uh, just to get an artist discovered. So how do you do that? Well, first you got to find, you have to invest in a product or invest. I mean, nobody's going to invest in you until you can prove that you can turn a profit, you know, or unless you're just one of those guys that gets a viral hit like Post Malone or, you know, just doing something overnight. I'm sensing that, like, that you don't like Post Malone. I do like the guys. <laughs> no, you don't. I, no, I mean, there's a couple songs. That, I'm just using him as that's an anomaly. That's an anomaly. Yeah. He's an anomaly being that like, I mean, I'm not, I'm, he can write a song, man. I yeah. mean, there's a couple songs. I'm like, those are hits. I'm just talking about the live performance of, you know, that he does. Clearly, he does well to the likability of the audience that he, you know, is clearly there is. I'm just I'm disconnected from that audience being that it's the same reason why I don't go to raves, man. You know, I don't want to see some dude behind a laptop pump his fist. There's no entertainment in that to me, you know, but still millions of people, you know, I love it. Right. Right. You know, I, I you know, I get I get why there's, you know. To me, it's kind of worth it. Oh, that's what the rainbow gatherings turned into. You know, like, I, you know, I've been to a couple of those. Those are kind yeah. of fun. You know, a lot of weed. <laughs> you know, but a lot not, of everything. Right, right, right. <laughs> I've never been to Burning Man. Heard it was cool, though. I get that. You know, I get, but I'm talking about, uh, you know, have you ever been to, you know, like the map room downtown in the 90s and watch, a, watch you know, Black Flag or, 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 uh, uh, or like, what was not Black Flag? They were, uh, 
Oh God, there was some huge bands that played down that little room. I saw Mastodon play at the high tone once. It was wild. And there was, <laughs> so, I mean, those kind of shows. Was the map room right there at the, at the traffic light? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was like, it was right here. Here's the traffic light like this, the corner. It's mm-hmm. right here, right? Yeah. I remember going there all the fucking time. Right. It was downstairs. <laughs> and there was a pole in the middle of the damn <laughs> dance floor that knocked out so many people. I want to yeah. say like, cause they, they were throwing like hardcore metal shows down there. And, and I mean, there was a band called Few Love Standing in Memphis that was just dominating the metal scene. There was also another metal band called Blister Agent that was just crushing it. And, uh, yeah, we had a thriving metal scene back then. It was it was a, a lot of great bands, you know. Uh, but yeah, uh, going from that kind of like I'm five feet away from you know this drummer who is just injuring himself behind this kit playing so hard. There's a connection there that I just simply you, you can't find watching it do with a microphone with a laser light show, you know. So Post Malone <laughs> is like a microwave meal. And the other bands you mentioned are like a five-star or Michelin-star meal. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, again, I'm not trying to be – I'm sure the guy's a very likable guy. And that song, Better Now, the first time I heard that on the radio, I'm like, okay, I get it. That's a hit song. There's no question. All right, no problem. You know, I can recognize a hit song when there's a hit song, you know. Uh, So I try not to be too – too critical. I'm just talking about from the entertainment factor, you know, going to a post Malone song, I'd be looking forward to like the two or three songs I know, you know, and then the rest of it'd be like, bring out a drummer. That's a cool beat. I would love to see a live performer play that, you know? Yeah. Cause I remember we went to go see Foo Fighters mm-hmm. and Dave Grohl was like, if your favorite band plays for like an hour and something, they shouldn't be your favorite fucking band. And mm-hmm. then they were going to play for like three hours, which they did. I think that day we went to go see them at the uh, FedEx yeah. Forum. Right. But it's like, yeah, you're you're going to see a performance because not like you said, not shit on Post Malone, but that's something you can listen to on a, a CD or right. an iPod. I just feel like I'm at a party, like chilling in someone's kitchen, yeah. you know, with them, a bunch of people around singing, you know, to a CD player, which is fun to mm-hmm. do. I get it to do that with a million people around you. I bet that's fun as well. But there's just so much more to that, you know, and there's just so much more that's out there. To, uh, with a live band that, you know, now these cover bands here locally in Memphis go to a cover band. And you're like, holy shit. You know, you're like, look at that. It's, it's just as good as a, as a, as your touring rock band was back in the nineties, which is why I do it. You know, I, yeah. I love it because at least now on a smaller, you know, I'll be at a smaller level. I get to feel like, you know, I'm one of my heroes. Well, one of the coolest things when it comes to drummers or drum thing was remember when three or yeah, three eleven. Remember when 311 would come out and then they would have like five people with like mm-hmm. little drums like this and then it would be like a 15 minute like thing yeah. with the drum thing or like five of them doing it though? That was the coolest thing I've ever seen with drums, man. Yeah, man. I remember watching that at the Mud Island, my boy Riggs. I was there with Goldfinger. And, and yeah. Kevin, I was at that show. Yeah. I and mean, it was fucking awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, Godsmack does it. So, uh, Sonny, I'm not really a huge Godsmack fan, mm-hmm. but. The, the lead singer of that band is a hell of a drummer and they have Shannon Larkin as their drummer, who is just world-class drummer. So but that's, that's kind of, the drums have always intrigued me. You know, there's a lot of household name drummers out there, I guess, to the drum nerds, you know, but not a whole lot aside from David Grohl, excuse me, not a whole lot, for, you know, aside from David Grohl and, uh, you know, maybe a couple other guys, you know, Neil Pert, God rest his soul, but we're losing a lot of the greats, you know, uh, 
But some of these kids that, you know, we're talking 25 year olds, humans are evolving clearly. <laughs> like the parts of the brain are starting to open up because they that weren't able to be opened before uh, by some of these drummers. Cause I mean, I could send you some, some references to some guys that are like, yeah, he's 22, you know, and he's already that good. You know, there's a guy here somewhat locally in Jackson. His name's Grant Brooks. He learned how to play drums. I mean, he, he, one of the tools that he had to learn how to play drums was uh, the Guitar Hero thing of drums, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he started off as a cover band, you know, because he, he could play note for note because he was so good at that. And he did it for such a you know, long time. That dude is on tour in Australia right now. He's the drummer for Chris Jericho Fozzie. Holy a, 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 fuck. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he's one of the sweetest kids you ever meet in your life, humble as can be. He can do some stick tricks, like Morgan Rose level acrobatic stuff. So proud of the kid. Rock I mean, band. Yeah, yeah rock, rock band was what it's called. Rock band. Right? I never actually played, played yeah. it. Right, right, but he yeah he used that as a tool to learn, and the, and he turned himself into you know the drummer for one of the you know huge rock band out there, and yeah, guys out there crushing it. So, but yeah, he's from Memphis. Or, well, he's from Jackson, but he he's he played for the band One Less Reason uh, in Memphis, and then he also played for the band Roses Unread uh, from like I guess technically Memphis, uh, uh, Mississippi. You know. So, what do you think's going to happen with the Foo Fighters now? That's a that's a tough one. Um, you know, I I'd imagine that that really is a tough one. I'm I'm sure they'll get someone super. Hopefully, you know to kind of, you can't really mimic Taylor Hawkins. That's, that's the only thing, you know, it'd be like a, that's such a touchy subject. I'd imagine with, with Dave Grohl, you know, mm -hmm. uh, finding someone that could emulate him. Would that be something greater? Would be, that'd be something painful to have to, you know, have to do every night. I don't know. Uh, if anything, I, if, uh, hopefully everyone's taking the time to process, you know, all that. Cause you know, this, this industry, even Dave Grohl, you know, uh, there's people that, We'll eventually start calling him, asking them, "Hey, you gonna start making us money again?" You know that, which is sad, because you know that that's like there's people out there that their boss is making them. You know? yeah, it's <laughs> Hopefully, like, it's not like that. I mean, I don't know Dave Grohl's life, but I know that business, and that's the whole like, give the man some time. He lost his best friend in the world, and you know, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. Um, uh, it would be kind of cool to to maybe it might be kind of cool for him to sit behind the drums and find a new singer, you know, mm. that might be, uh, just kind of full circle it. Yeah. But, uh, but it, it, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, he's not done. That's for sure. I think he's just released something here recently. Didn't he? I thought, I'm not I sure. I, yeah. I'll have to check into that, but, uh, but yeah. I did see that you guys got, um, you finally get money now for your radio place. Yeah. Uh, like, what is up with that? I, why would that not be a part of it, the royalties already? Again, it's a long, long. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you think of all the money that, you know, the potential money that could have been made and now it's gone. And will they ever make that money now? You know, um, it's even gotten to the point now uh, I've seen like Muck Sticky, right? He's from Memphis. Yeah. Muck, his online presence is gigantic. He had this clip that was going viral on Facebook about smoking weed. And I mean, just people all over the world posting these reels with his music going on in the background. I was like, Oh my God, I mean, thousands and thousands. Of, I don't even know where it's at now, but, uh, that was pretty cool. And I think, you know, there's ways to be paid on, on 
little snippets. I think it used to be 15 seconds is all that you can, you could play on the airwave and not have to pay the artist potentially. And maybe that's changed. It's changed so much and it's, it's not cut and dry. Well, I saw something, I got alerted on the link up page and this other page that I have where that they'll pay me $10 per reel. So it's like, if they're going to pay me $10 per reel, how much are they making off those fucking reels that people are making? Even man, it all it all goes down to the final because even to create those numbers, getting back to the whole payola thing. Yeah, if you want, if your product is good enough, this reel or whatever it is mm-hmm. is good enough, you hire a content creator or you hire a content manager or whatever. Give them a budget and they target the audiences for you. And for some reason, you could target all day, mm-hmm. every day. You could. Google how to target. You could go to seminars. You could do it, but I, you know, I I don't know if it's a situation where the payola now is information rather than it is just like here's the CD press play or the record press play that goes out of the audience. I think we're at the point now where you know the connections is the information. That information is held very tight, still in a tight tight knit community because there's only one person that uploads that does the final enter upload to a Spotify playlist. That is the link between you and your awesome song staying in your awesome little Spotify playlist or going to a playlist that millions of people go to every single day to get there. Yes. The product doesn't, can't suck, you know, for sure. It has to test out the roof, but you, you paid someone handsomely, you know, to get your, song there because again 40 to sixty thousand or 20 to sixty thousand views or, or uploads a day only one person's going to upload that final that final track so that's uh dealing the cash out in that that one person that hits the enter button i don't know what that person makes but considering that person is the person that with the stroke of hitting the enter button could make what somebody has invested maybe $200,000 in a huge return on that investment. <clears throat> you know, let's do the math on that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. All I know is that in a capitalist, in a capitalist society, which I'm all for, you know, I'm not anti-capitalism or anything, but, <laughs> but in, in an economy that has I've been, been around longer than I have, <laughs> uh, I know that, the one person that's making more money than off music than any artist ever has ever will. And is now, you know, I, he's never put out a record, you know, whoever the dude is that owns Spotify, that's the guy who is, I mean, I don't even know last time it was in the billions for sure. Well, Damn. you know, so, I mean, you got something in the billions <laughs> or, or something in the billions. Now I'm sure it's being reinvested, uh, into communities and, and, you know, I mean, billionaire organizations like that, they, of course they, they have, uh, they, they do a lot of good. So I'm not here to talk smack yeah. about it, but, uh, I, I am saying that, you know, that's, that is a lot of cash <laughs> that you know, a lot of worth that would be absolutely game changing. Uh, the moment Congress or whoever, goes in and I mean, they're trying to do it with controversy and it's, I mean, it's not working clearly, but I don't know. I mean, how do you, how do you tell someone who's been very successful with an idea that got people's music, you know, across 
the globe, how do you tell that person to make, make, you know, start doing the one thing that none of us have ever done, you know, be the first person throughout the history of the music industry to give artists a bulk of the cash that create this content. You know, it's, it's not like he's the bad guy. You know, the, the, that, that way of doing business has just been the way of doing business. We'd have to alter that, you know, which I don't see that happening, at least in my lifetime. So do you think like, obviously the rhetoric that Kanye West has been spewing is, is not the best, (laughs) but like, do you think that, what there he some of the stuff that he might be saying is right because i know even dave Chappelle said that the way when prince changed his name to the artist it's because in the language that they have written in the contract that's what they call you as the artist mm-hmm. they don't even basically name you as a person yeah and it, you know the, the two things that i mean one one thing that i know about any kind of record deal I mean, because this has been explained to me by an entertainment lawyer before i signed a deal is that like hey you're no longer a person you mm-hmm. are a product i understand that you know and, and you had better sell or you're going to go from being from being a product back to a person you know now just take that at face value yeah but products make a make way more money than people do you know so uh that was explained to me that's just something that like i get where there's an eloquent way of saying things you know and he is not very for being someone who boasts himself as a lyrical genius. The dude does not know how to talk. Yeah. Uh, the only thing about the Kanye controversy that I mean, other than like clearly mental health is a serious issue. Uh, the only thing that, that, that really bothered me was the power of Apple mm. that, that bothered me that Apple, a uh, you know, corporation that isn't exactly located centrally here in America can cut off a billionaire's account, can cut off their money, you know, regardless of what you think, taking his dumbass rhetoric aside and just like, he's a human being, an American, and he is a billionaire, you yeah. know, how that happened. Fuck if I know, but <laughs> you know, but I mean, you know, it, he is a billionaire. Those are the only three points that I want to focus on right now. Apple was able to make not a millionaire, but a billionaire make his debit cards and credit cards not work. Not the IRS, not the United States government. They are the ones that should be the only ones to have the power to do that. That is what's alarming to me, you know, uh, more than more than a mentally ill idiot, you know. I don't know if the point was if it was debate, if it was to educate, like like that's an education, or if it was to you know call make his next single go big. But I, you know, it's, it's just and again, I don't have kids, so my thoughts and values and morals will die with me. Nobody has anything to worry about. <laughs> but it just seems to me that um, people are taking advice as well as you know life skills from the least qualified people out there in the world simply because they are a billionaire you know or because they have media coverage it's 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 getting a little ridiculous you know yeah because i saw that they said in the in the language two of the contract you're basically giving up your likeness and name in perpetuity yeah i yeah i mean the the i have not signed anything of that level as, as of late, the last deal that I signed was in 2000 and like 2010, 2011. And this was a, this was kind of a deal where a billionaire wanted to get in the rock and roll business, Mm -hmm. found a band, 
built up the band and then absolutely wrecked the band's opportunity by not doing like no call, no shows, no meetings with the kind of, kind of movers and the shakers that you don't do that. You yeah. Know? You know, so in other words, you know, uh, I didn't, I, I, I don't have any disrespect for this man, you know, by any means. Uh, I, I think he just had, I think it was in over his head and he just, he want he thought that money is all it would take to, wrestle that industry and yes it takes a lot of that but it also takes the respect of you know communication the respect of showing up to a meeting you know uh because some of these meetings will get your band blacklisted you know wasting people's time is way worse in that business than wasting their money because the music industry they waste money all the time you know uh so the contract that i had with that had this dude, not completely messed. It would have been financially probably a life changing thing for me and, and some other fellas, you know? Uh, so either which way the artists, you know, there's, there's a very fine line being that I signed one of the best contracts ever, but it got steamrolled by someone who just didn't stay in their lane and have faith in, in, in the people that he hired, mm. you know? Uh, or I guess, you know, wasn't qualified to, do the things that he wanted to do, having no formal education on it whatsoever and not realizing, you know, that, uh, timing and communication and, and, um, a lot of it being talented isn't enough. His songs aren't enough. So do you think his ego ruined it? I don't think it was so much of a matter of ego as it was just, you know, he wasn't serious about it. The band was, you know, mm-hmm. he was the investor. He wasn't serious. This was a guy that is just like, this is play money for me. Maybe it was a tax write-off. Who knows? You know, uh, the band absolutely could have gone the distance. The band toured and, and held up with some of the, some of the most heavy hitting live bands in rock, you know, uh, as far as like, you know, you're opening up for them. You better know what you're doing, you know, because these dudes, man, they throw down and, and people are going to throw shit at you if you don't perform well, <laughs> as well as some of the clubs we're going to, you know, like a biker club in Nacogdoches, Texas. Don't get up there and suck, cause especially when the band after you played OzFest, for God's sakes, you know, they're that caliber. Uh, but yeah, um, it's, it's been unfortunate being that, you know, uh, Getting to, getting back to your point though on on the record deals, uh, yeah, th- there are there are record deals out there that will take an artist that they know is going to explode mm-hmm. and ignite, and give that artist say a half a million dollar allowance on, in which that artist might keep. I don't know. I mean, if this bill and this bill, this bill, this bill, then the artist is left with a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, great that artist will not get paid a dime of that money until that 400,000 I got burnt. So he's just, he's out there starving. So until that 4,000's recouped or 400,000 rather is recouped. And then at that point, the beauty of the 360 deal is it's not like, okay, now that we got our money back, we're going 50, 50 halvesies or like you get 70, we get 20. It's done by these small percentages and you know, to where the artist gets paid such a huge amount because that has to it's it has to deal with the investment has to reach a certain level before the artist gets paid. And that level is just like 
just below like fuck you money, <laughs> right? You know, it's just it's so it's it's ridiculous. So it's uh, the the artist that actually did it right because uh, he knew the contract. Ironically enough, I don't I don't know much about his music, but I know he's from this area. Is Jelly Roll, right? Oh, really? Yeah, like well, he and Lil White is a local artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I met him recently. Super nice guy, uh, but I mean he. Dude, if you look at his streams, I mean, he's millions of streams on Spotify. Uh, and, you know, he's got an asset there that will continue to grow, you know, uh, w- uh, because I don't see it getting unpopular anytime soon. But Jelly Roll, you know, was like they, they made records together. Mm-hmm. And that he just played the Grand Ole Opry. He's, he's you know, Zach Myers, I think, is like just played with him in front of thousands of people at some stadium show recently. So... That's super cool, but Jelly Roll knew the deal, the dealings of a 360 deal, you know, and he can tell you. I mean, he's way more savvy than I am, obviously, on that. But I mean, I was, I was really impressed. I saw an interview with him. I was incredibly impressed, mainly because I was like, "Who the hell is this Jelly Roll guy?" And he's playing the Grand Ole Opry. That's crazy. Who's this dude? And then I mean, I googled, you know, more about him. Like, dude, and I saw the interview. I'm like, this dude is, yeah, he's he's business savvy. So. You know, leading to the point, you know, he's going to be very successful. He's going to make a lot of money, you know, because he didn't get, you know, he didn't get taken. I'm sure he signed some bad deals. I mean, he, I mean, if, if he was here to tell a story, it would not be all Tiffany cufflinks. No way. But, you know, uh, he, yeah, he, he did uh, really well, you know, considering I'm sure his residuals are awesome being that he knows that kind of how the deal works. So what would you say would be the best error as far as artists in making money? Uh, making the product and then just releasing it and thinking that it'll be good enough to carry its own weight because you like it. No, no, I mean like right. what what time okay. period? Oh, excuse me. Uh, 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 oh, I think you said you thought I said error. Oh, error. Yeah, error. I was saying error. Oh, what era? Repeat yeah. the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the, the which era <laughs> do you think? Like which time period do you think was the best for artists in making money? Oh, and make oh, dude, uh, from <laughs> like probably mid late seventies to, I mean, it started dying in the late nineties easily, you know? And then, I mean, by, by 2000, I'd I'd opened up a small business in Memphis in 2007 as a, like, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to go back and do this business or try to juggle both. And, uh, that lasted till about 2013 or 2012. I was like, I'm out. I can't, I can't do both anymore. And I came back home just cause every single tour budget got smaller. Every single per diem got smaller. I had to turn down one of the hardest tours. Oh, this was a, this was a killer. Cause you know, I don't live in any kind of regret by any means. Uh, I, I opened up a small business when I was 27. I'm in my forties now. And luckily that's, that's how I'm going to sustain a living, you know, but to sustain that living took a little bit of sacrifice being that I was going to get to go all expenses paid tour with skillet and seven dust in Europe, Germany, all kinds of stuff. Wow. Um, right. Right. For a band that was, you know, uh, now the person in this band uh, and the band I was going to play for is in arguably one of the biggest rock bands in the world as well. Uh, he plays bass for him, but anyways, they asked me to play and it was December in the jewelry business. You know, I mean, if I'd shut down the jewelry shop in December, I'd lose my shop, you know? Damn, uh, right. Right. Bro. So it was just one of those like play sold out 
arenas, clubs, whatever, you know, in Europe, Germany, I mean, I mean, just all that. And it was just primarily because like, I mean, these guys got paid to do that, but I mean, skillet didn't ask seven dust didn't ask, you know, uh, they didn't need, need my help, but the opening band, you know, who, who they, they've been, you know, doing this for years and they make a good living. Uh, it just wasn't in the budget to be able I mean, and what iron maiden would have, wouldn't have paid me you know, if I could play because the budget would have had to been enough to have me play drums, sustain a life for a month, you know, in December and sustain the overhead of an entire jewelry shop. So I, uh, you know, it was just one of those, like, they knew that I wasn't going to be able to do it when they asked. They're just like, we just had to ask because it would have been, you know, it was, it was appropriate because these dudes used to live with me, you know, they're, they're mm. more, more super tight and they're crushing it. They're in separate bands in the same one as well, but having to turn down that tour was a total realization that like, man, you know, it's not a, you had your time. Cause I mean, I'm still, I plan on doing a lot of live music with the Icarus plan next year. Uh, <clears throat> um, but it was just like at that time, everything, in the music business was so bad financially, you know, and there was so little opportunity because this was a while ago, you know, that yeah, people are turning down tours like dream tours because just the, the money is not there, you know, and it, 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 uh, <clears throat> it used to be, you know, it used to be in a huge way. Uh, I used to get paid in the nineties more per show sometimes than I do now, you know, uh, which I mean, <laughs> twenty years later. Do you, you think know. the money is going to come back into the touring and like playing shows locally or wherever in the country and stuff? I think yeah. I mean, it's going to be a slow, slow crawl, you know, for sure. Um, especially if these venues are starting to take money from the artists, like they are. You know, I mean, it's it's the the this, the cards are stacked against you. You know, I mean, to, as far as if you're in a band and you're just crushing it, you know, locally, and you've got a great CD and you've got some some people coming out and a crew, that's awesome. To get on a tour bus with the band that you want to be on tour with, you know, that's going to be life altering for your career, could cost you ten grand. You know, I mean, you know, unless. I don't know too many 18 to 21 year old kids as a group that's got $10,000 to invest on top of the five to $10,000 for merch on top of the, you know, $10,000 for a van, you know, we're talking, we're talking 30 grand, you know, to jump on that big tour that didn't used to be that way. Right. It, 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 uh, and what's funny is most of that money What's well, not funny is appropriate. Most of that money goes to the band, right? But that's also a way for the label to kind of excuse themselves from paying the band a, a certain amount, you know? I mean, it's, in some instances, the label probably does take, take their cut. But the days of like, man, your band is awesome. You want to come open up for us? Uh, you know, that's happened to me before. Candlebox. Jim Green, God rest his soul, got my band on a dead machine an opportunity to open up for Candlebox. We played the show, and right after that, Kevin Martin, one of the sweetest men you'll ever meet in your entire life, nicest dude, comes up and is just like, dude, who the hell are you guys? You know, And I didn't even know who he was. I was like, are, are you guys playing today? Are you in a band? You know? And it's like, he's like, yeah, man, um, I'm in Candlebox. But oh, oh, which one are you? <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, he, he was a good sport because I was like, clearly I'm familiar with your entire catalog. He was yeah. like, sorry, man, but, but they headlined it and he saw an on a dead machine show and he went up to, uh, to the four of us and it was just like, Hey guys, um, 
you guys want to go on tour with us? And we're, you know, we're like, ah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, we, we got in our bass player's Nissan Pathfinder and we find ourselves in Irving Plaza in Manhattan opening up for Candlebox in a sold-out show. And, I mean, it was, uh, it was unreal, you know. So those opportunities used to exist. And, I mean, if a band has merch, I mean, we were all broke kids when that happened. You know, but playing in front of 4,000 people, if we had $5,000 worth of merch, you know, that probably would have been a nice night. But we didn't, you know, and, and these, these bands, they don't. So the it's the opportunities getting smaller. The expenses to make product are pretty much sustaining, you know, as far as like making making a vinyl is very expensive. You know, there's no inexpensive way to do it. Uh, vinyl seems to be coming back in a huge way. I love it, but, you know, to print up a vinyl, I don't know too many teenage rock bands that got nine months to wait and seven to $10,000 for something really nice, maybe three to four for something that'll, you know, maybe wait a year and a half for. So it's a, uh, the, and that's where there is the, the big profit, you know, in the industry has gone to vinyl, which I don't know if you guys remember the Grammys a few years ago, the president of the Grammys was basically like, please buy vinyl. You know, I read that as a cool, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been collecting vinyl, but I also read that as a, we're drowning over here financially guys. Yeah. Help. You know, that's, that's what I saw, you know? Um, but yeah, the streams is, yeah, streams. If you're an artist that can produce a million streams a month, you're at least getting a, a cut of somewhere around $4,000, you know, um, some of these deals, you'd be surprised the artist might get for a number like that might get 50 bucks. Jesus. But a lot of people, you know, or the artists that do it themselves though, you know, hands off kind of situation and then make the product, own the masters and then hire a team. You know, that's kind of what the Icarus plan is a situation where two people that have been playing music our entire lives. We've, we've both signed record deals. We've signed good ones. We've signed bad ones, way more bad than good. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. We've had, I mean, uh, amazing experiences. I mean, this dude, I got to record on the drum kit that Chevelle wonder what's next was recorded on, on with like the same producer, you know, this dude's voice took me to Canada with Garth Richardson. Who's one of, he did the first rage against the machine record. He did the first Chevelle record, the first trapped mud vein kitty, the, the the platinum and gold plaques in this guy's hallway was unbelievable. It was like basically like, well, I owned all of these records, you know, you're welcome for the money, <laughs> you know, because uh, it's, it's, it's uh, working with him was unreal. And Garth in a studio, you know, watching Linky sing, I, I'm sorry, Brian Linky Link. Sorry, I, I call him Linky. But uh, anyways, <laughs> watching Brian sing, um, this dude looked at me as like, man, that's, that's, you don't see that very often. He's singing several tracks. Obviously you want to get the best one, but I can't tell him from each other. He's that accurate. You know, he's just one of those singers where, you know, you can give him a microphone, put the CD in press play and have him emulate it. And you can't tell the difference. He's, he's, he's spot on. So wildly talented. And he lives down in, you know, in Atlanta and, uh, over COVID, I was writing a record with Dave Cowell here anyways. 
in Memphis at Supernova, and uh, we just connected, and, and I was like, "Man, I'm making a great record, you know. I'd love for you to come in and sing." And he's like, "Dude, let's just let's just write our own record deal, you know. Like, let's uh, let's invest long term, two years, you know, and uh, release a record, record a whole record, front to back, like do a vinyl record. It's something I've all wanted to do since I was a teenager, and same here." And he, he was like, That's "I don't awesome, care." Man. He was like, "I don't care for the only two people that buy it." <laughs> you know, like. We'll print 300 copies. You can have 150 and I'll have 150. I don't care. You know, like it's just something to do. And as we started diving into this, um, it was, it, you know, I've, I've, I had my expectations set high because I knew the caliber of singer he was, but it had been a minute, you know, uh, that since we'd both been in the studio and he came in and he just got better with age, you know, uh, like he had been practicing daily for, you know, for quite some time. And uh, the demand for it grew we started getting, you know, messages from people in like Iceland, <laughs> like Greenland, Switzerland, Germany. We've gotten some messages even like in Russia, you know, and we're just like, hey, cut that shit off out of there. Appreciate the compliment, but talk to your boy. Tell him to stop being a dick. Yeah, <laughs> no shit, a, right? Right. But, uh, uh, this song is about peace. Something you guys might want to <laughs> just let me know, you know, anyways, um, and, and because we did some target, you know, some target marketing outside of the country just to see like, Hey man, in one of the biggest rock bands in England, I remember one time was Blackstone Jerry. Right. Like, like it was, it was not, they were the headliner. I saw this, this show and it was like, mega huge band mega huge band and your headliner blackstone cherry like what <laughs> like, yeah, like, what i fuck? mean those guys are badass don't get me wrong but that particular style of music at that time in england was just huge and i think they're still huge over there now but uh it's um anyways we wanted to see what this music would do over there and it it tested well you know so uh brian is in I mean, his business is everything from marketing to, you know, inventing it's the, the whole thing, the whole nine. I'm more of the, let's bring some people together, you know, kind of, he and I work 50, 50 to make a whole team, you know, work as far as figuring out what the infrastructure needs to be. Now, having said that we've hired local artists. Uh, we have Chris Lott as our art director. We have a, a, uh, an engineer, um, as well as a, basically a third member. It might as well be in Dave, Dave Cal, uh, Blake Heimbach, the whole crew at hockey studios. Uh, we've done so much work over the past two years, uh, as well as, you know, we're in the middle of, of trying to get, well, actually we pretty much got everything, all of our ducks in a row and it should be, launched on an international level hopefully here in the next you know next week or so we'll see holy shit that's awesome everything that we've garnered so far is just kind of organic you know uh so we're 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 super proud of that but the big step up as we're saying you know you have to build your team and then prep and the the legwork of that is not eight months it used to be eight months you know like you get a band started signed and out there on the road within about eight months it's you know but two years long-term investment got vinyl Online store is almost up. Uh, but the whole point of it is, I guess we're creating the music first, but we we don't have a band. So next step would be like, <laughs> there's the album. It's done. There's a demand for it. 
uh, we're going to jump on a tour and we we're going to hold auditions and then, you know, that's it. That's hopefully that it, it's a complete role reversal of any way that we've ever done it before. But for some reason, I think a lot of it being that it's self-financed and we are the ones that are actually able to make the decisions. We're also the ones that's, you know, they're like, Hey, do it. I don't mean to be like, like, let me to be on your ass about it, but like deadlines, right? We're going to, we're going to meet them. Cause this is, this is not, you know, Atlantic records money. Yeah, <laughs> This is. So what are you guys needing? You guys need a, uh, cause in the video, by the way, that video is really dying. Thanks man. Man, I watched that cause I saw you post it. Yeah. Or no, you should, oh no, you, yeah, you posted it and you sent it to me too. Right. And I watched that. I was like, man, this is, this is fucking badass. And then I was going to ask you, I was like, I didn't know Jeremiah and Landon yeah. were in your band. You, well, just, no, you was, just told us right now yeah, that, you know, so we, we got four music videos. Three of them are performance. Or actually, pretty much all of them are performance. And, and the whole point of the Icarus plan, you know, definitely want to, we want to, we want to make it a staple out of Memphis, yeah. you know? So every video is like just buddies from bands, you know, I was like, Hey, you guys would come. Like, so I, I don't know if it's the next video. I don't know which video we're, we're doing next, but one of them's got Cody Landers, uh, who was in one less reason. And our buddy Dave, who's a, you know, he's a local musician as well. He's in, he's in one of the videos. And then another video, we got Blake Allison from devour the day, Egypt central, you know, him and, uh, uh, Blake Heimbach, the director of the video actually played bass for one less reason as well. So these are all just guys that, we hung out in the New Daisy Theater, you know, we were all buds and yeah. it's like, look, it, the, there's three people making this music. It takes more than three to perform it live. Like, <laughs> just come on in. And the, the best, Landon and, and Jeremiah, who, I mean, God, those guys, we were all cutting our teeth on Beale Street, you know, so, uh, but those dudes, Jeremiah was getting married the following weekend, I think, or maybe two weekends, and his bachelor party was in Nashville or Jackson, maybe the night before that video shoot. Those two guys on a whim drove just beyond hungover. Like, I mean, on hungover <laughs> on a level, like God bless the both of you gentlemen, you know, for being here, drove all the way to Memphis from Jackson. I had them, you know, in there like sweating it out, feeding them cheeseburgers. <laughs> and, stuff, you know? and I mean, Jeremiah is a beast. I mean, they both are. Jeremiah is sitting there doing kick flips and stuff like jumping around and, you know, I'm sober as can be just like looking at this dude like Jeremiah, like you're making this look bad. Chill. <laughs> yeah, chill out, bro. Dude, that guy, yeah, he's, he's just a machine, but, uh, but yeah, they, they, they did, they performed um, amazingly. The, the next one, there'll be different band members here, there and everywhere. I'd love to get some guys from the, uh, the old days, you know, I'd love to get Josie Scott in there. It'd be awesome. Todd pool. Some of those guys. That'd be awesome, yeah, man. You know? So what would you say are the benefits and negatives of the internet and social media as far as with music? Uh, just oversaturation. Number one, uh, you know, you never think that too much music would be a problem, but I, I would it'd fair to say too much bad music can be a problem. You know, when, when artists are getting famous for how ridiculous their songs are getting, you know, or, you know, when someone's inspired to not figure out music theory, but to figure out which face tattoo to get, you know, cause that's going to be their way to mortality through music. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm sounding my age. Maybe I'm sounding like an old man, but I mean, when I was in high school, we envied the guys that knew how to like that, that we're going to go to college and take like guitar theory, you know, and jazz theory, those are the dudes where I'm, you know, I'm like, dude, that's, that's insane. You know, <laughs> that's a, that's some real dedication. That's some real discipline. Uh, 
social media uh, is, is calls a complete and what's nuts is like I don't know what these kids are gonna do for fun in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, like like it's just I think about my high school days and it's like and we didn't have we didn't have cell phones. <laughs> but uh, uh but you know, you just knew that Friday and Saturday night, you know, you'd go to the alternative restaurant, nine oh two Cooper, you go to Barristers, New Daisy, Newbies, the skate park of Memphis, you know, all these clubs, the Inkwell, there's uh the complex, uh, the caravan. There there's clubs all over the place. And I remember nights where we would just start at seven o'clock and go from watch this, excuse me, watch this band, mm-hmm. this band. And I mean, you'd be at three different clubs. You've seen three different scenes. You've watched 12 different bands and you've spent 15 bucks cause it was a $5 cover, you know, and it was safe. It was fun. Uh, nobody got murdered or, you know, nobody got killed. There was a couple fights in the parking lot here and there and everywhere. Nobody, I think we all got, a couple of us got paddy wagoned uh, <laughs> to 201 uh, for drinking Budweiser's behind newbies once. But aside from that, it was awesome. And it was just such a, a, a vibrant scene. You'd go, you'd go to these places and there'd be two, 300 kids, you know, and just to lose that sucks for these kids. I just, you know, to put it all behind a cell phone so you can connect with them virtually. And then when you show up, and those 300 kids are in the parking lot. They have no idea how to act because mm. they have no, you know, th- they have no social interaction. You know, perhaps there's been conflict. We know just as well as I do conflict over the Internet is a completely different thing between conflict face to face. You know, especially if someone's been, you know, it's, I've never seen a culture of people try to destroy people or just get to get off on destroying other people through social media. You know, I've, I've been in Memphis business for 15 years and, uh, I've had someone boycott, try to boycott my business because they thought I was transphobic. Yeah. And it was just in, in, over, over the slightest comment. And I was like, dude, like, you know what friends for life Memphis is? <laughs> Cause like I've been sponsoring them everything. I, I live in the Midtown community. Okay. I, I remember the AIDS epidemic. It absolutely, I lost a lot of friends. My parents lost a lot of friends. I saw two men that genuinely loved each other more than, I mean, just as much as your parents could love each other. I saw one of them lose the other one, you know, and it was one of the most, it, it, it clicked that yet yeah, genuine love. Like I, like I have for my girl can absolutely exist between two men. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen a man mourn another man to be called transphobic because of, I, I don't even remember what it was about. It was some, it was some sort of thing that I didn't even know was a transphobic. I think it was the, tr- the, the pregnant man emoji or something. I had mm. no idea what the hell that was even about. You know, I just saw the pregnant man emoji and I was like, I'm going to mess with my buddy Corey Wiles in Nashville over this. You know, I have no idea what it's about. Uh, and I think I posted something on Facebook that I was like, there is now a, a, a pregnant man emoji. Happy Monday. I think that's what I posted or something, you know, and, and, Next thing, I mean, all hell broke loose. I'm like, oh shit! I didn't realize that, that was okay. Well, whoopsie. Let's delete that. Yeah, <laughs> my bad. Uh, and I even t- called my buddy. You know, I was like, dude, what w- what was transphobic about that exactly? Like, oh, well, f- you know. And I turn on the news and I see what it's about. I'm like, oh crap! I had no idea. Well, I've been in business for 15 years, and I get on Facebook, sends me a notification, and there's this dude that I've never met in my life who is an Uber driver. In, in South Haven, who's never been to my shop, who I've never talked to. And he's written my business like a one-star review. 
and said this whole like Ed Harris is transphobic as uh, you know like, like whatever. And of course, you know they they you know you can't cuss on someone's review. And I'm like, what is going on? And with the, and I find out two days later because I contact my lawyer number one. I'm like, all right, man, I got a business to protect. What should I do? You know, like 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 I I'm, I I will issue a formal apology. I have no idea. He contacts me two back two days later. He's like, man, let this be. The same kid that was doing a Van Ed Harris jewelry. Uh, uh, and this is the kind of caliber person that can then that can ruin a shop. He was drunk, hit a pedestrian, and drove off. That mm. in Oxford, Mississippi, and that poor pedestrian was so fucked up they had to airlift him to Regional One. Jesus. So this very understanding try to better you know your society around you person who wanted to destroy my business got drunk hit someone and drove off so it's that whole thing like that uh i think it's the warren buffett said it like if a cop tails somebody for 500 miles everybody's going to be caught doing something wrong right so it's like stop the judgment just because especially if you don't know somebody and online like context can be taken out Right. You know, easily. I mean, I, I'm the first to apologize. And if I if I made a, a issue with that, you know, be like, dude, my bad. But I mean, if something like that would draw a line in the sand to where you want to take down my business, you know, you better be squeaky clean. A number one, know that it's going to take a hell of a lot more than that. You have an armada. So do I. I think you know? people get off on that power, though, like right. that mob mentality, like, oh, we're going to get this person. And it's like, would you want somebody doing the same thing to you? I don't think so. When they're destroyed, what happens? Their kids, you know, they, they, they get kicked out of private school because their, their, their family can't afford it now. So good on you. You you ruin the futures of, of, of children. All right. So you should feel good about that because their father or mother said something. So if the whole idea, you know, is a country that's, that boasts about being united and accepting if the whole idea has turned into a, which one of us is the most pristine? Which one of us is the most squeaky clean? Because all I know is that if you're after that, we try to do that in the churches. And I'm a Christian man myself. But if you follow a breadcrumb to those that are the most righteous, even in the church, you might find some crazy shit. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like, uh, for sure. I, 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 I am tired of meeting people's representatives. I enjoy meeting people. You know, but yeah, that this, uh, uh, people can speak freely in front of me to offend me takes a lot. You're talking to someone who was co-raised by a man that fought at Iwo Jima. Okay. So <laughs> a 17 year old kid, <laughs> this is where I come from. A 17 year old kid is on an aircraft carrier looking at the Japanese Imperial Navy. And instead of shitting his pants, like I would have even now, he says, let's go boys and goes towards them. We've gone from that to destroy this young man's business because of a Facebook post. What kind of coward shit is that? Yeah. And then Yelp is just as bad, you know, because people will get on there and berate uh, businesses too. Right. Oh, my sandwich is a little cold. Worst sandwich ever. And, you know, and then like the, and I love when owners defend his servers or I mean their servers or whatever. For sure. Cooks or whatever, because they're like, and when they get on there, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry you didn't enjoy your meal, but there's no reason to berate the entire staff and this and right, that. It's like, right. dude, like, you don't know. Maybe it was just something wrong happened with the end. There's a customer service 
problem in America, as we all know, it's tough to be a customer in today's society. It's tough. It's tough to have a problem. Help my pharmacy, you know, right now they, they, I'm, I'm without a medication that I desperately need. And the whole thing is they're like, well, our computers are down. I'm like, well, so what do I do? Well, there's nothing you can do. All right, cool. So I'm just, I mean, I had a pharmacist today basically say you're screwed. I'm like, well, thank you for being honest, you mm-hmm. know? So <laughs> it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's nuts. Um, I don't remember the last time I've gone out and had like someone at a cash register be even remotely pleasant, you know? And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I keep to myself quite a lot. Right. They're it's, on their phone. They're on their the phone. The entire time you're talking to them. Right, hey, right, how much right. are you? Three dollars, nine, two cents. I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> right, right, right. And I, I get the convenience, but you know, the, the art of talking to people, man, the customer relation to the, I mean, Dude, I'm in, I'm in the jewelry business. There are people that hand me, you know, there, there are kids that I have conversations with sometimes. I'm like, look, I know that this is your budget, but dude, you got to, we got to make f- smart financial decisions. Cause if you get engaged the same month, you don't know how you're going to knock out rent. <laughs> it might be a little bit of a buzzkill. So let's, let's, let's do this. Let's do this wisely, you know, cause I'm a broker. I'm not a salesman. Completely different in my business. Um, so the, and I have, I have an amazing clientele. I, I've, I've been doing it for 15 years because you know, it's appointment only. I know my customers. So I, I'm not really, I mean, I guess you could technically call it retail, but it's kind of like, you know, you got to know me, you got to call mm-hmm. me, you got to make an effort to want to do business with me for me to want to work for you, you know? And that's just because the stuff that I do, you can't do with somebody behind the counter at a, you know, a, a, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. So, uh, that's my little niche, you know, that's, that's where, where I found myself going full circle with that. You know, I have to be really on, you know, my P's and Q's when it comes to communication, timing, all that stuff. I'm taking people's money and, you know, and it's not a small amount sometimes and I'm building, building with it at the constant communication, the gratitude, the appreciation, the follow through, you know, um, I'm doing a better job with diamonds than the medical businesses with prescription that's needed. You know, is yeah. and that's just that's kind of like bringing back to the full point. The point I was trying to make on no better time than now to be an entrepreneur. Look at your, look at your competition. You could open up any business right now. Just be nice and hire nice people. Hire someone that when a customer comes in is going to smile and ask how their day is going. Success will fall right in your lap, right there. Just those small things. If McDonald's can be the biggest manufacturer of cheeseburgers because of a clean bathroom, how well do you think a smile is going to do? You know? So that's, that's a, as well as, I mean, there's restaurants in Memphis that I go to constantly because I've never had a bad experience there. Then there's restaurants that I've been to. I've walked in and be like, I'll never ever spend a dime in a place that would employ a piece of shit human being like this. (laughs) I just hear that, that right. Like there's that, we, we've all had one where it's just like, God almighty, I wouldn't, I would not give you the responsibility of a broom handle, you know, and a mop. So it's just, and yeah, it's especially with the type of money that's having to be spent to go out, you know? So what made you become a jeweler or get into the jewelry business? Well, that was one, uh, uh, I saw my mother when I was in high school, actually when I was in junior high, she worked for a very popular jeweler for many years. And then, you know, she just wanted to kind of go out on her own. Uh, and when I was, uh, starting high school, she started, a, a she opened up a, a partnership with a, a few jewelers, um, 
or with a few jewelers over there at the same spot that we're at now, uh, right next to the kind of over there in the Oak Court mall area. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I saw her, I, I got, I got really intrigued by the, you know, honestly, the, the history of the different stones, the different colors, the different types of, you know, the geology behind it, the stories behind every stone. I thought I always thought that was fascinating. And I see some of the things that my mother built and I was really impressed. So, um, it was really just watching her and learning because I mean, she's, she's been crushing it for, for, she'll get mad if I actually say how many years, she's been <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she's been crushing it for a very, very long time in that industry. So, and, and being able to learn from her, you know, uh, just carrying on a tradition, if you will. Um, uh, but I, I waited tables at Dino's in Midtown for like a decade. I loved every minute of it. And, uh, I would go back to it in a heartbeat if I ever got out of the jewelry business, yeah. you know, it was, it was fun. Uh, and then before that I worked for five years at blue play cafe over there at Poplar and Yates. So I've only had three jobs in my entire life, but I've been working since 1996. Uh, but, uh, so it's, it's just went from waiting table street to the jewelry business. And I kind of coalesced what I learned about the music business into the jewelry business. And it's, you know, it runs the same way, you know, it's just, uh, um, the one thing I noticed that was lacking in the jewelry business because I, I be a consumer first before you try to open it up to see what the challenge is. And the number one thing I saw was like communications, very low kind of like, you know, hurry up and buy type of attitude, you know, where it's like, just open up an office setting and go person by person, give them your, your time, your undivided attention. You know, so when I sell someone a piece of jewelry, I send, I, I also, since it's such a shady business, I hand them the paperwork to hand me my own ass in court. You know, that's part of the business. That's a responsibility. You know, people are buying stuff without appraisals, without any kind of paperwork, you know, like on eBay, it's, it's risky. It just really, really is. So, uh, I tried to just provide a, a spot in Memphis where it's like, just, just be honest with me you know, uh, and I'll make sure that you get mathematically exactly where you want to be, or I, I won't waste your time and, you know, over promise and under deliver. Cause that's done a lot. So, uh, learning all that from my mom is just, it, it, it started 15 years ago and it, uh, it, it really blossomed. I'm, I'm blessed that it, that it has continued, you know, hopefully it will continue, but as small, small businesses, you know, the cards are definitely stacked against you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a uh, uh, not to get into any kind of conversations on politics. Nobody wants to hear that, but open up a small business and ask someone about their politics. You know, you might kind of get, if you sat down and saw the numbers and saw what actually goes on, you know, you might be able to understand a little bit of like, Hey man, you know, it's, it's very expensive to live in this free country. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Yeah. But so the, is there a lot of competition between other jewelers here in Memphis? Oh yeah. I mean like, well, I mean, I don't, I stay to stay off the radar as much as I can. You mm-hmm. know, I got a very, very small circle and it's not that I'm not open to other people. It's just that, you know, sit in your own corner, do your thing, get your clientele going. I'm not one that's going to talk smack about another business. You know, that's not if you have to do that to make a buck It's pathetic. You know, there's a lot of amazing jewelers in Memphis. I just happen to be a jeweler in the city of Memphis amongst, well, I mean, the, 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 the amount of us is dwindling down, mm-hmm. you know, quite a lot. But, uh, but no, I mean, I've had, 
I've had, um, this is how disgusting the business can get. I was with a company. I was selling their rings for, oh man, I want to say like 12 years. And I put in, you know, I mean, we're talking a lot of money over 12 years. They were my primary men's wedding bands line. Um, I put in an order one day and they're like, yeah, your accounts, you know, we're, we're going to have to close your account. I'm like, I'm sorry. You know? And apparently, and I mean, of course they're not going to name names. Mm -hmm. And this was ironically enough, like a couple months after I'd won that best of Memphis jeweler thing, which like, look, man, you know, like I threw my name in there as a, and I paid him a couple hundred bucks for advertising. I didn't know I was going to win it. (laughs) You know, like I was just like, you know, I got like second place one year, third place one year. I'm like, that's cool, man. I mean, I grew up in Midtown and that's primarily kind of a, it's a huge Midtown voting thing. So I was proud of that, you know, but they're like two months after I win the best of Memphis thing, they're like, yeah, jeweler there. Um, we offered them, you know, exclusivity on the line. So I'm like, so basically another jeweler paid you enough money to not sell your product to me anymore is what mm. you're saying. And like, yeah, I'm like, dude, and number one, how much was it? <laughs> they paid? I just, just want to know. I just want to know how much they paid. And then number two, you know, like if you ever call my number again, if this doesn't work out, like you put all of your eggs in one basket because after doing something so gross you know, yeah. from a business, uh, business ethic, if, if it doesn't work out with dude, man, you call me or you should send me a rep. If you just want to sit, have a rep, come back to your shop and talk about the worst day they've ever had in their life. You know? Cause that's just kind of like, that's, that's nasty business. I haven't really had to box anybody out. And you know what? The person that did that wasted their money because the issue was resolved in about 48 hours. You know, it, it was as easy as calling up another vendor saying, hey, so this is what happened. You work gold is gold. Diamonds are diamonds. Is this the same quality? Cool. Same stuff. Cool. You want to make some money with me, man? Sure. Okay. Done. So someone just threw away a lot of money to try to box me out or box everyone out, I guess. But I'm just like, dude. It's gonna take so much Dumbass. more than that. I'm just like, I'm like, you just if that's if that's your play, cool. But you know, I don't even know who it is again. But whoever that is, you are a coward, son of a bitch. <laughs> if and, I'm if I'm hurting you, man, Jesus, dude, I'm one guy. <laughs> I'm one dude. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine, his wife has a jewelry store here in town. Awesome, and. If you uh, take professional him. jewelers, Rochelle, look, yeah. Rochelle and uh, uh, John, uh, yeah, John Marcus awesome. is his son. Marcus, I heard, yeah, because yeah. I met this kid. Uh, I met this kid at oh, where was it? I at I was at uh, D, Bar DKDC for my friend does a drag bingo on mm-hmm. Thursday or something like that. All right, and there's a guy that I had met through my buddy Brad. He works with his, or he knows this kid named Richard, who's a jeweler. Richard Johnson, yeah, really nice kid. <laughs> Dude, Richard, Richard and I work directly with each other. Yeah, nice. he was telling me that he wanted to start a podcast, so that's why uh, Mike introduced me to him. So okay. we had a good conversation, and then that's when I found out he knew Rochelle and Marcus. So Richard is the next superstar, in my opinion, as far as jeweler. He's gonna be he's gonna be a household name in the Memphis jewelry business. I have uh, utmost faith of that. He's good. He's ethical. He's incredibly intelligent and. The work ethic on someone, especially, you know, uh, he, he's he's in it now experienced when I just got in it. Mm. Right. So he's he's got experience that goes back farther, you know, just as far as me. And I'm in my 40s here, you know. Uh, so dude's good as gold. Can't say enough good things about him. Um, and it is a very small, small knit community. Uh, Rochelle, 
great customizer, diamond setter. She's worked with me and she's worked with my mother, done some great work with us. Uh, and then uh, Marcus, her son, fantastic hand engraver. Yeah, sure. I heard he does like guns, like he, he engraves guns mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, like which that. that's a dying art in itself. So. Really? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these jewelers in Memphis, you'd be surprised. They're just, they're artists that just paint with different types of materials mm. than, than paint and canvas, you know? And I mean, Rochelle would be one of them. There's, there's a lady named Yolanda, uh, I think, I forget where her shop is, but she's, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, 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 Cope Williams, Alan Fader, you know, there's, there's a, um, a, a plethora, dare I say, <laughs> of, of bench jewelers and jewelry designers in Memphis, oh, excuse me, in Memphis, because I mean, you know, it's pretty, pretty decent sized city, you know, in the jewelry business. My shop is right there kind of in that heart of what used to basically be the diamond district in Memphis, you know, mm. uh, right over there, Medna-Cal. Now you have Sissy's log cabin. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm on the other, I'm caddy corner to Medna-Cal, you know, uh, I'm the only jeweler over there now. Um, uh, I believe platinum might've moved, uh, to another location, but they still have a spot out in Collierville. Um, but you know, there's a lot of jewelers. We work together. And I mean, there's 700,000 people in the city. I'm not interested in doing 700,000 engagement rings, you know? <laughs> yeah. there's, there's plenty to go around. I'm not in your way, is basically what I'm saying. Wouldn't you know? it be like the mentality? It sounds like what you have is there's more strength in numbers than like to keep everything like bottled up to yourself. I think Memphis is the 100% word of mouth reputation type. If you want a business, all it takes is a good, is, is just word of mouth. You yeah. Know? yeah that, that is, that's stronger than any other thing, any other advertising I've done. And as far as advertising, I've done radio. I've messed a little bit with film. But um, the way the world is, man, I could take $5,000 towards radio and I might as well throw the money in a fireplace. Or I could make a Facebook post and sell something in like five seconds. Yeah. Sometimes. Just because it's like, ooh, shiny, exactly where my budget is. Sometimes they sit there for a while. Sometimes, you know, I'll post something on Instagram and somebody will send me a message saying, will you hold that for me? You know? it's wild to me because the, 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 that wasn't the initial business plan when I started this thing 15 years ago. It's just the route that it went because 15 years ago, the first ring I ever sold in my career, I sold through MySpace. It's the this lady was, was, I was in a band called on a dead machine. And this lady was checking her daughter's MySpace page because she saw that she liked this band on a dead machine. She wanted to know what the hell is on a dead machine. <laughs> saw that, then checked, saw who was in on a dead machine, and then saw that I was a jeweler, clicked on mine, saw a ring that I just posted, and came in and paid for it the next day. That's awesome. And that was the first engagement. I was like, how did you even hear about me? You know, she's like, I, you know, she told me the whole story. I'm like, so you're here because you wanted to make sure <laughs> that your daughter wasn't looking at anything appropriate online. <laughs> you know what? I'll take it. Whatever. Yeah, you know, thank, like, you. whatever. thank you so much. That was so I mean, and it, and at that time. I was the only jeweler in the city of Memphis that even had a, had a, had a, a, a MySpace page, but I think I was the first to have a Facebook page. Cause I started my Facebook page like right when like colleges started, we're talking 2007. So, I mean, that's kind of when I started my first Facebook account. So, and then that one grew to a certain number that I had to start another one. So it's weird how, I mean, you can buy like bots and all that stuff, you know, I, I don't, I never really mess with any of that nonsense just cause I just, you know, want to make sure that whoever's asking about this is a real person, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
essentially yeah, over 15 years, you build like an online little community of people that spread the word anytime you post something that they want to see, you know? And, uh, again, it's almost like the, the business venture, how it was, how business is done successfully to some degree, you know, was in no way, shape or form the, the, the avenue I thought it was, you know, when I first got in the business, that, that, uh, complete, I thought it was going to take stuff like going up to every event you could possibly go to, which I went to a lot, shook a lot of hands, hand out a lot of, ba- hand, hand out a lot of uh, business cards. But again, everyone's shopping from home. Sales people are working from home, which is nuts. You know, my grandfather was a traveling salesman. <laughs> it's just like, oh, dude, wish you could have lived in this time. Yeah. <laughs> Man barely got to see his family because he was traveling all over the place. And now these days, all he needed was a phone. Well, it's like Black Friday just, you know, obviously just happened. And like, I was, uh, I was coming up Jimena Parkway, turning onto 64 right mm-hmm. there, you know, by Bahama by Breeze. Yeah. And I was just looking at the parking lot of the mall. This is like at probably nine o'clock. Dude, yeah. there was nobody anywhere. Like, there were, the car was like, the mall looked abandoned. Dude, the Oakcourt Mall just went into foreclosure. Yeah, that's crazy. Which I am, I mean, I, I, look, I don't know who's going to buy it. I, I wish they would just tear it down and, Turn it into like, you know, kind of like a carriage crossing type of spot. You, I, you know, know what? That's probably what's going to happen. They're going to make like apartments on top and like yeah. uh, retail on the bottom. It's, it's, you know, I'm a peaceful man, but I mean, it got, it got a little hairy over there, you know, when, uh, uh so this is, this is, it's been a minute. I don't want to say this was like maybe two or three Christmases ago, but this, this lady was walking out of Macy's and someone grabbed her and drug an 80 year old lady through the parking lot. You know, it's just brutal. Watching that video was tough. And, you know, we, we, we having a jewelry store and everything, we take our security incredibly serious, you know, uh, being in business 15 years, you know, um, there's only been one attempt in a, which I mean, you, if you're in that business, it's just going to happen eventually. Yeah. Uh, I used to be involved in the partnership and one of our traveling vendors, uh, picked up a, picked up a follower and they tried to take him in the parking lot and man, they both got, Respectfully, they both got their asses blown away trying. They 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 messed with the wrong jewelry vendor. That was a guy who, I mean, a Marine. This wasn't his first rodeo, but yeah, four guys jump out of a car, or three guys jump out of a car, all loaded, all all, all with guns, trying to rob him. And he's so quick on the draw, he kills two of them, and the other two run. Mm. They call it the they call it the other two, you know. And from what I understand, yeah, they're both of them passed and. uh the other two, uh, I don't. I think they were like from Colombia, maybe or something, you know. So I think they were they were illegal. Uh, so I don't know what happened to them, but uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was definitely the uh, that was when I first got in the industry, and I'm glad I got that wake up call super early. Like, hey, <laughs> like like it's no joke, you know. Now we have an armed security guard, you know, in, in our shop and everything, and we're we're a hundred percent. Secure, but uh, yeah, it, it sucks that we it sucks that we're there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't. I didn't used to have to have a retired federal transport, you know, officer, yeah. you know, who who could who's probably a really good shot. <laughs> you know? It seems like a lot of young kids doing this dumb shit too. It's not even just like some older person. Man, I you know the 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 random shooter that was on Facebook last year. Yeah. What the fuck? I mean that that. There's no explanation for that, you know. Um, that's the that's a a failed across the board from parents to 
you know, to whatever came in contact with that human being. Mm-hmm. When I use that word loosely, yeah, you know, how something like that, I mean, I, I don't know if there's something to blame for, for that kind of act, you know? Um, but watching a dude walk into an auto zone and just put a bullet in someone, you know, and then be happy about it and bragging about it. You know, the, the rage and anger that someone who actually holds life quite precious, one would tend to wonder if it's worth trying to figure out. I saw today that there was uh it happened in new Orleans. This mm. uh, Uber driver was dropping this guy off and he stabbed her and they filmed the, the after carnage on Facebook live. Mm. And he, when he got caught, they, he told the police, he just wanted to kill somebody. You know, it, it's, it's a, uh, and maybe it's drugs. I'm very close with someone who lost uh, lost her sister to an absolute coward mm. because uh, uh, what kind of a man, or I mean, you couldn't even call it a man, what kind of a creature would shoot a young lady in the face while she was asleep? Yeah. You know, stuff like that. You know, you know, you can, I understand people can rage and anger and life getting you down. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I understand that the snapping point on people to just, make life altering decisions in the blink of an eye. It seems like that, that stopping sense has gotten less and less, it's less educated, you know? And, 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 you know, we try to say that we live in this time of teaching empathy and sympathy and acceptance and all that. You hear those words all the time. Well, kids, if they're anything like kids, when you tell a child to do something and that child doesn't have, someone at home or someone around them constantly. They, the only time they're going to hear it is on the media and the TV. Well, what good is that if they are not in front of a TV, mm-hmm. if they're outside because their parents kicked them out, you know, uh, there's, there's a, I don't, I don't think people realize just how cruel some of these kids, uh, uh, the conditions that they're raised in, you know, and that's kind of where you kind of have to start, you know, mm-hmm. rather than just kind of condemning them. There's a rage and there's a fury, but trying to figure out how someone can go from being born uh, to living to at least the age of that young man that went around and just shot people at random. I mean, he took a nurse from us. He took yeah. someone, you know, he, he took in front of her daughter for, for, for what, a, for a Facebook live or a stream is it, what is the, is the purpose some sort of social issue that, you know, has been constantly, you know, bombarded in one's mind, or is it a uh, issue that uh, I, I, we don't know. We've been doing a lot of talking while people are doing a lot of killing, mm-hmm. you know, is, is what I'm seeing. Uh, when it comes down to the standards in which the general public should, you know, Hey, hold me by. Well, I have, I have a book called the Bible. Hold me by those standards. Cause those are the only standards that I have left that I know that I'm dying yeah. with, you know, and that's the beauty of religion, not trying to preach here. But I mean, like, in other words, like you absolutely have a basis of saying, Ed, you're a piece of shit because in this commandment here, it said you weren't going to do this and you did. Therefore, come on, man, you know, hold me to that standard. Call me out on it. You know, if, if I ever strayed any of those, call it archaic, call it, you know, something that no one, you know, like, Oh, you're, you know, you're preaching. I'm just, dude, you know, th- what's wrong with looking at a book and saying, I don't need to do that. You know, mm-hmm. regardless of the religion or the, or the, the, that's, those are the standards that I think we can at least all live by, you know? Yeah. I think evil has always been here, obviously, but it just seems more pronounced now. And I don't know if that's because of social media, we're seeing more of it or that, you know, maybe people are a little bit more off their rocker than in the past. But I don't, 
I don't ever recall thinking about random acts of violence when I go out in public as much as I do now. We get to see it all the time as well. You yeah. Know? I mean, like you get to see all of the camera clipping. I'm, I'm, I'm just as guilty, you know, flip through Instagram, like, wow, here's a robbery in progress. And then I get sucked into the, you know, this. do you have the citizen app? Never heard about it, man. It pops up all the time. There's some <laughs> random shit. Like I saw last night, somebody, they robbed some liquor or convenience store and took like $4,500 worth of like scratch off tickets or some shit like that. And it's just, yeah, it's just always constantly popping up, popping up. Popping now, up. Yeah, I think we're, I think maybe, I mean, the, maybe the fine line between is there more or are we just aware? Of more, yeah. You know, um, social media could definitely, I could, I could definitely see social media, uh, having a, a heavy role in that. Um, but yeah, man, you know, uh, the, uh, constant bombardment of negativity, you know, just, just kind of like, uh, that study where, you know, I, I want to say some countries, I know China for sure. Uh, you get on their apps, you can't see the same stuff that we see, mm. you know, being like that. They don't, the kids doing dumb stuff. Yeah. It's, it's taken off, you know? Whereas in America, we'll see kids break their necks on trampolines doing stupid stuff, you know, which is like, did you see this idiot? You know, that I don't know what that does to someone's psyche over time, you know, mm. seeing stupid people do unbelievably irrational stuff. I'd imagine without any guidance whatsoever, you know, and throw a little bit of drug use in that, it, I'd imagine it'd be kind of a cause or a, a possibly some sort of a cause for a problem so what do you think memphis needs to do to get back to some type of order uh man i don't even remember the last time it was in order (laughs) (laughs) like when i first moved i moved here in 91 okay and i distinctly remember like how even like the city just looked prettier yeah well you know there's there was a (laughs) there's a lot that could be definitely you know taken aside and blamed for that mm-hmm. some of our litigators some of uh the people that there were the movies movers and shakers a lot of misappropriated funds and this is financial history a lot of investments being made you know uh, by movers and shakers that get huge uh huge government money or huge investor deals without us even being privy to it you know um that went on back in the day uh I remember when God, I remember when they were taking to, to to remedy the the homeless situation that they had downtown. At one point, they were arresting homeless people and basically just dropping them off in Midtown and going back to downtown. I remember uh, that kind of became a topic of conversation somewhat around that era. Uh, that era mm-hmm. because like Main Street was not good there from before that trolley, you know? Yeah. Uh, the trolley system came up. I remember that was going to be this huge, like, new way of traveling. And now it's like, what was the last time anyone, any Memphian that you know of has ever been on a trolley? Zero. Right, right. It, that was supposed to be a form of communication paid by our tax dollars, which I'm just going to go out on a limb and not say that 100% of that money went towards the rail. You know, mm. Maybe some people lined their pockets. I don't know. I mean, we got people being sentenced to jail for stealing money from government-funded uh, uh, entities that were here for to help children get their teeth clean through a dental. I mean, what kind of a sick son of a bitch steals from impoverished kids, 
you know, teeth to have their teeth clean. We had yeah. like those are the people that run run stuff or it used to run stuff. So, I mean, it's kind of like what Dave Chappelle said on Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago. Like we're looking at all these ideas that you know we have in our head, these conspiracy theories of like, man, look at the stuff that they're doing in this. Like they're doing it in front of us and not being even quiet about it anymore. You know, I'm not talking about Memphis necessarily. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of good people on our city council as well, you know, as some people that like, I agree with some need to go, but you know, Hey, the, the people have voted. It is what it is for sure. Um, but I think for Memphis to grow, uh, I, I, I'm not there for city council meetings. I have a small business to run. I don't have time you know, to, yeah. to do that stuff. But from what I can tell, um, there's been some, quite a lot of progress on both sides of the bench. You know, I see people like Heidi Kuhn making moves and I see people like, you know, Ford Canale making moves, you know, some positive things going in. Uh, it's reinvesting into the community. People want going back to the Memphis being not knowing its worth. When I did tour as a musician, there was no better clout that you could have as a musician to say that you were from Memphis, Tennessee what that would do to someone at the knitting factory in Boise, Idaho. If you were a musician outside of Memphis, Tennessee, and you found out that like, Oh, these guys from Memphis are playing. They instinctually think like these dudes are, these dudes are good. They can mm -hmm. play. Cause I mean, they're from the music town, not a music town, but the music town. And I've heard that from people from LA, Boise, Idaho. I, I just, I just love Boise. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, El Paso, you know, all, all, uh, South by Southwest. I've played that so many times. They were like, you're from Memphis. Oh my, you know, it, it is, it's, it's a, it's a badge of honor to a certain degree. And it's something that, you know, is a brand and people want to capitalize on that brand from time to time. Um, so I think, Eventually, when live music comes back as a precious commodity, which it's starting to for sure, uh, you'll, you'll, you're going to start. I think the next in line for Memphis is rebuilding the stages, you know, uh, which is, is happening. You know, Skinny's doing a great job over there at the high tone. Tony Westmoreland's doing a great job over there at Growlers, you know, that they got, uh, some big shows coming through, uh, Minglewood Hall. I don't know what's going on with Minglewood Hall. I don't know if it if it got repurchased. <clears throat> it's reopened, and they're it's reopened as a venue, obviously. Right. And they're booking shows. They're they have live music. I don't know if it's is it by an out of state company. People that own some they're they're Nashville investors, uh, okay. something like that. Got it. And then JD has uh, B side inside yeah. of the hall. I love that club. It's a cool yeah. club. Uh, yeah. Going back to violence, you know, they lost their bartender um uh that was uh, i'm i used to, i worked at dino's and I've, I've oh man i didn't know him very well but he used to come into uh to dino's to eat every now and then and uh, i he just served me drinks a few uh weeks before he was shot in his in his front yard i think like in like a nice part of midtown what happened is it was the bartender beside for the life of me? I I, I think Bo. No, wait, maybe his name was Bo. I, I I've I've forgive me. I forget I forget the. I will find out. But uh, he was, um, yeah, it made the, it, this was, it was tragic. It was all throughout Memphis or all throughout Midtown. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, somebody just walked up to him in his front yard, I guess, uh, and shot him. What? Damn, uh, man. And I don't know if it was like maybe a dispute or maybe they knew each other. It, it really, I, nobody ever explained anything. Uh, I didn't really see it in the media. 
but it was uh you know respectfully i'm sure you know for his family uh but uh yeah man uh that hit that club really hard because he was he was such a good good dude a great mm. talker good bartender you know <clears throat> i mean he was much more than just a bartender yeah Philo- philosophizer if you will <laughs> but uh but yeah it's, it's, it's been it's been tragic over there yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, um, like you said, I think Memphis has a lot of potential, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I think that a lot of people here just need to realize their worth and that they should want more sure. and they shouldn't just settle for, oh, that's just Memphis and that's just how we're going to be. No, I mean, you're not going to, you wouldn't, this is what I always say, like when people like, if say your house is in disarray, if your house is in disarray, would you accept that same type of level of nastiness at a hotel or a restaurant? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you would not. Yeah, yeah but yeah. so it's like, why would you let that in your home or in your city? Yeah, yeah. No, it would. Again, it all goes back to standards. Yeah. You know? I, I kind of, that's the one thing that I wish Memphis, like, be proud of the grit and grind. I get that. You can be proud of the grit, but like, like there's nothing bad about making something to the highest standards that it can possibly be and mm-hmm. celebrating that. And celebrating that, you know, yeah, man, it, it took some grit to get there, but you're past the grit. And now you want to be a professional and you want to be the best, you know, what you do. And that's something that, uh, that I respect the path, the journey to get there. But anyone that's opening up anything, any kind of brand, set the bar incredibly, incredibly high, mm-hmm. stand out in front of the, the rest of the pack. And now, again, with, with everyone's yearning to be entertained, Cause I, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I've, I've spent more time flipping through Netflix than actually watching shit. Facts. Right. So we, we have so much entertainment, but we're starved for entertainment. So I think that's, uh, that's the one thing that, uh, if it's ever a time for someone to stand ahead of the pack, you know, that's how you should treat your band, treat your business. You know, the Icarus plan, we started, what started off as wanting to do a, a, an album, you know, wanted to do a, a vinyl. Now we want to do a brand. Now we want to do an international distribution deal. Now we want to shoot four music videos. And are we going to stop? No, we're not going to stop at the standards in which we're doing these. Are this the, the same standards that I use when, when presenting fine jewelry? So, and I mean, and hit the, the, the person who's the content creator for this works in a business whose standards are higher than mine because they're on an international level and they're the third biggest in the world at what they do. Oh, wow. So, you know, he's on that international level of quality standards. I'm on that local Memphis level of trying to stand ahead of the pack and quality standards as well. So I don't know to me, the excitement is every single day that project is going to, is going to grow because of the standards in which it was launched. I I genuinely believe that, you know? So how does it, how would you feel if you had a partner that didn't compliment you the same? Oh man, I just, I would do it by myself. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's not worth, I mean, anything worth doing is I could not do the Icarus plan without David Cal and without Moran link. Those two, it was just, it would not, it would not, the music wouldn't be made. And then after that, the artwork that, you know, kind of links into our style, we use several artists, but this guy named Chris Lott, just really it was it was man. Your art is exactly looks exactly like our music. So, uh, our team runs from Colorado Springs, Colorado to Nashville. With our, you know, I think our, our ma- the mastering engineer lives there. 
And the rest here is a Memphis to uh, our content creator agent who lives in Los Angeles. So I mean, at this point now, our team is being built outside of Memphis as well as inside of Memphis. And it's not, it has everything to do with putting, you know, a lot of musicians are upset at people that use resources outside of Memphis, right? Like the proverbial sellout or like mm -hmm. you're not, and it's like, well, there's certain things in music that you have to be able to have access to. And, you know, to have access to that, none of those people that have access to it live in Memphis. So that's why, you know, uh, but the whole idea is to create a demand for this music and a demand for this record that one day Brian can come up from Alpharetta and we call up our buddy skinny at the high tone or we call up Tony, we call up Mike Glenn and say, Hey, you know, um, the demand's high enough that I think we, I might be able to at least halfway pack out your club. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what do you say? We, we do this and see what happens. And, and then that's, that's when it's like, uh, there's all these things to look forward to that. I guess, you know, when you've done it so many times as a kid, you know, setting up for a show used to be such a drag. Like I just want to play now setting up for a show is like, how good can we make this? Mm -hmm. You know? And that's, that's kind of part of the fun. Yeah, because yeah, you do don't you, want to put a half-assed project out there because that's who you are. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of people, they half-ass a lot of things in their life. Yeah. And then that's probably why they will never achieve anything. I mean, what's the point of playing 50 shows that you make, you know, 50 bucks at? Or you can play one show and make 5000 mm -hmm. You know, that's, uh, that's kind of, I, I, unfortunately the era that you know all the label reps used to say well your band's got to go out there and create a story they'd always said the same shit that's every a and r guy from atlantic to lava to all of them was just like you got to create a story kid which is basically like you know i need to do all the work and then when we start making money you're gonna, show you're gonna holler at me <laughs> okay i'll go create my story idiot anyway <laughs> when do you guys um when do you think you guys are gonna play Life. Um, unfortunately, I'm 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 seeing if I have to have this uh, surgery on my leg, which I'll be down for like three months. Unfortunately. Oh, so it's, uh, I'm we're uh, I'm going back in the studio January uh, second week of January to wrap up uh, the last three songs of the second record. That's the what I gave you guys tonight. Is the first record. Uh, so we got we'll have twelve songs finished in January, which will be releasing some singles, release another vinyl. Uh, we just released the first of four music videos, but we're going to be definitely shooting more next year. You know, so we'll, we'll see. We'll keep uh, reinvesting, keep getting, you know, new, uh, you know, just build it the organic way. Uh, I, I think vinyl was a good move being that like someone takes home a vinyl record. They'll never forget about the band, you know? Yeah. Uh, just cause they have something to actually physically, it doesn't get lost in Narnia on a Spotify play, play a playlist. But uh, so I think that that'll hopefully be the first little, you know, spark of the fire. We'll see. So what advice would you have for like somebody that's trying to get into music now? Uh, well, I mean, <clears throat> one, learn your craft as, as best every single day. Uh, uh, never, never have one day. We're not at least playing one instrument. If you're not, if you're not playing your guitar and your guitarist every single day, and it's what you want to do for a living, you know, have a backup plan. It's just, it's just the, the consistency. Uh, I don't think Zach Myers has ever lived a day of his life without a guitar in his hand. 
you know, so if you don't have that kind of passion for it, you know, it's a painter's not going to have that same kind of passion if he hates holding a brush, you know, so it's, it's, uh, <laughs> really know that that's what you want, you know, and sorry to say he just Bob, Bob, uh, what's the guy that passed away? The Bob, the painter guy that he with the fro. So, oh. Bob Ross. Bob Ross. He just <laughs> popped in my head right when I was talking about painter. So I was like, he, anyway. <laughs> uh, man, you know, the, the game has changed so much. I don't want to give out the wrong advice, mm. you know, being that like, I'm still learning myself. I, I know that number one talent isn't enough. Okay. It's not enough to make a living talent. Something that, yeah, what's highly advised you have, you know, <laughs> even though I've seen some guys in some huge bands play to tracks that are so heavy that I'm like, this dude could not play anything. And I mean, he looks good playing what he's, what he's, you know, what he's not, if you will. So you can make it that way as well, you know. Uh, uh, and again, I, I don't judge. I don't care. Uh, it's it's a uh, you pro, you know you hire a great producer. The producer does all the work, and you're just the face of it. Okay, uh, that's that's the way that you know pop artists. Some pop artists work that way. Fine, no problem. You know, um, it's all about entertainment in the end. You know, somebody loves it enough to buy a ticket. Somebody loves it enough to buy an album. That's the music business. So. The advice I'd give someone on that, the whole, like, be true to yourself. Like, unfortunately, you can be a complete dipshit these days. Get, like, some sort of stuff tattooed on your face. Do create something on an iMac. Release it. Call it some name that makes no sense. Mumble through it and get two million YouTube streams and you'll be setting records, you know? So, I mean, my advice as a a 40 you know, dude, dude in his forties, like, please don't get your face tattooed, man. Shit, my whole body's tattooed, you know, and I don't have my face tattooed. You know, that's just kind of like one of those. You're 21, man. Like, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And tattoo artists, Jesus Christ, guys, if they're not already fully tattooed, if their first tattoo is their face, and you actually do it, you're a dick. <laughs> all right, like, yeah, yeah. All of my artist buddies are like, nah, nah, man. These kids that are coming in trying to get a heart tattooed on their forehead, you know, and they're just graduated high school. I'm like, nah, man, I ain't going to have your dad come up here and shoot me in the face. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> exactly, just, I'm like, man. damn right, man. So, I'm suing you. <laughs> I mean, they can't do anything about it, but I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, it's, it's a, I know what my father would do. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like just being consistent and always working on your craft is probably one of the best things you can possibly do as an artist. Yeah. I mean, get, get some, videography is the future. People are able to see the music now, you know, mm-hmm. which, which man, people asked back in the day, now when the CD burner came out, it was going to make, you know, CD sales obsolete. What's the next thing? I'm like, well, you know, if they're stealing your ears, you know, they haven't stolen our eyes yet, mm-hmm. you know? So well, that's, that's going to be the next. I would, I would definitely give the advice for a musician. It's this, this cards are stacked against you being that not only do you have to learn music, you need to learn how to edit film. You need to learn how to work all of these apps that my archaic ass doesn't want to learn. So I'll pay yeah. someone to do it for me. <laughs> I mean, this, I'm, I'm still away from that, you know, when it comes to success, uh, but yeah, these rock stars, they're not controlling their Instagram accounts and, you know, they, they don't want to have to deal with that crap, you know, but, uh, but, I don't know. Apparently these numbers are uh, the alpha and the omega of these kids lives, you know, enough that they would go around and shoot people for it. Yeah. Sad to say. Sad. What's the, going back to your jewelry, what's the most extravagant thing you've ever done or been asked to do? 
Man, uh, I did one. I, of course, I had to sign a non-disclosure. Uh, there's, there's been a few that I'm just like, man, this is like moving a piece of real estate. You know, really, yeah. Where it's taking like a team of brokers to work wow. together. You know, there's, there's deals like that. You know, there's done. Uh, uh, I recently got to do one of the coolest Rolex bands ever. It was, I think, a total of 940 diamonds, like in this Rolex band. Just, just to, so I mean, people. They've got some really cool ideas. I, I, I designed one this morning for a buddy of mine that I cannot wait to uh, to make uh, using some colors that I'm I'm partial to. But oh, I'll, damn, that's legit. And I'll be building that uh, uh, over the next. Um, a team that I work with will be building that, you know, down in Louisiana. But uh, uh, it's yeah. Th- the excitement behind, you know, the product that's about to be built is also another, it's almost like releasing a record, if you will. Nice. Uh, you know, creating something from nothing is, uh, is kind of, kind of my thing. <laughs> and you said that, to, that you were making that today, as you said, no, right? we, just, we were just designing it, you oh, know, okay. like, you know, talking it out, you know, it's, it's a, I can't take full credit for this stuff. There's teams of bench jewelers that put it together. And then sometimes it's, it's my, my, uh, you know, client has just a really cool idea, you know? And sometimes a client will be like, yeah, dude, you know, never tell an artist how to paint their canvas. And that's kind of what happened today in, in, in a way. I mean, he worked with me, but I was like, dude, to have this kind of freedom, I'm going to make something so baller. <laughs> yeah, <hell> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like anything else. Someone that designs bathrooms for a living, you know, may not seem like that glorious of a job, but I got a buddy of mine that does that for a living that, you know, will, will make you a work of art, you know, yeah. to, to, uh, to poop in. <laughs> yeah. So what are your goals, man? Uh, you know, I, I want full circle. I just want to retire at the age of 55 and be that bill street musician that has enough money for food and weed. <laughs> That's simple. <laughs> That's it. I'm not trying to create an empire. You yeah. know, I just, I just want to, I want to be that dude that while you're eating a rack of ribs is, is laying into Mustang Sally. I don't give a shit. It's that's, that's my happy place because that's one of those, when I grew up, my dad would take me down to Bill street and my dream was to be a Bill street musician. You know, it was a, it was cool. I didn't consider myself like a Bill street musician, you know, uh, just cause I mean, there are legends up there that are, that have notes on Bill street. You know, I don't consider myself in that pack. I wish I was maybe Mm -hmm. one day, but that's kind of where, those guys dedicate their lives to music for the most part. You know, I did to a certain degree, I'd say 75%, but I can go 100 like those guys did. Those are some of the best musicians in this country and some of the hardest working guys. Cause you would be amazed <clears throat> at what they've had to go through financially just to keep a job. Now, do you think a lot of people that are musicians just don't have, they maybe have the creative side, but they don't have the drive to push themselves to the next level. Well, I mean, I think it gets, it's such a timing thing. And, you know, how inspired are you mm-hmm. at 3 a.m.? Drunk people all around and you're hauling a drum kit in 32 degree weather while you got someone hitting you while they're talking to you. Yeah. You know, you're trying to get out of a club and you're carrying, you know, you got double sciatic nerve pain and you're trying to carry a kick drum out of a, out of a doorway, but Tawny and her five friends are sitting there having a conversation, completely ignoring you and you're in pain and you're yeah. trying to, you also have to be like, thanks so much for coming. And I know you didn't leave anything in the tip jar because you're 20, but could you politely get out of my way? Cause this hurts. Yeah. <laughs> like, when you get down on your luck as a musician, you just kind of like, you can eventually just surrender and give up. But it's mm. just one of those like, dude, you got to be like 
Rocky Four montage. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just eat shit and ask for seconds, man. You'll get there. Yeah, but they're not always gonna suck. You know? Yeah, because it seems like there are a lot of people that are talented that just maybe they quit before they hit. They really popped off, or they just maybe just don't push themselves enough to be in front of everybody. It's the chaos of performing. Joe Bonamassa played. I mean, Joe Bonamassa is one of the most famous guitar players in the world. That dude, you know, plays the. He's the guitarist that, like, when they have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like, call Joe, mm. <laughs> like. That dude played Rum Boogie Cafe in front of like twelve people when I was a kid. Oh wow, really? Yeah, I mean, like you know, look look at the catfish. Uh, oh, the kid in Mississippi. God, man, that yeah. dude is Dave Grohl knew who he was. Oh damn, you know, like when when, when Dave Grohl, I think they ran into each other. Miss and, and Dave Grohl, like, I know who you are. You know, <laughs> that dude was cool. just in the top five guitarists. I want to say in Guitar World magazine. Really? So you know, I mean, th- there are some gems here. I mean, he's one of them. Yeah. Sometimes you're just so talented that like, hey man, all you need is an audience. But mm-hmm. if you think that guy hadn't played to show in front of five people you're insane you yeah know? there's a there's a guitarist named juno Abbott mm-hmm. here in memphis anytime i see him come in and play like one of, one of the bands that i'm playing in i get like all giddy because this is a dude that like I, i've seen him play probably 100 hours of music and i don't think he's ever hit a sour note i mean he's, he's just an absolute machine uh that and i mean he's he would like any band, name it. If they if they if they lost their guitar player, they could call Juno and be like, "He'll be there. He'll get them note for note." You're gonna not want the dude that's injured to come back to the band. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so we're gonna have to go a different way. Uh. Dude, yeah, yeah. So I mean, they're, they're, we got those guys here in Memphis. I mean, they're they're. I mean, I, I've I've been in you know studio sessions where my job has been on the line. Or I've replaced someone like I've had to play a show in front of a billionaire that if I screwed this up, not only would I be fired, the entire band would be fired. The entire tour would be canceled and I would screw up four other people's lives. It's a lot of pressure. I mean, I've had, I've had some pressure shows, you know, no problem. Um, uh, but I mean, some of these dudes that are on these stages at like Neil's and, you know, and the Hadley's, which tomorrow night you should, you know, is a big, uh, fundraiser actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's where, and that's another great thing about this city. The reason why, like, you talk about goals. My goal is to live and die a Memphian, because mm. I mean, just the the camaraderie that Hadley's has with the Bartlett community, which I didn't grow up in Bartlett, you know, or just the community around that area. You know, this guy Rick Hale, he throws this this event every year, and a hundred percent of the proceeds goes to families in that area that just can't afford their kids at Christmas, you know? Oh, that's beautiful. And dude, this guy, like, I mean, he goes out and I mean, he buys it. I think one year they raised like, I mean, 30,000 or something. It was like a ridiculous amount of families they took care of, you know, it's just basically one of those, you know, all these local businesses donate a product. I remember like one year, and this watch, the watch thing, uh, not the watches here, but these, the, uh, the watch is actually in my car. But the, the watch thing that uh, we've been doing every year um, uh, through my, my shop is I've been donating two, just making like one of ones, you know, basically just custom watches. And you know, these watches retail, like the most expensive one I have is like maybe $695, right? Some of these guys compete for these watches because they're one of one. They'll pay over the retail value for, and they'll redonate it, you know, for the next year. It's the oh. it's the wildest thing ever. So you're talking like this guy. I think this that's all the dude last year paid nine hundred dollars for a six hundred dollar watch that had been worn two years, wear it for the night, and then re- it's going to be re auctioned off tonight. That's how generous these guys are. I mean, it's, it is a. Uh, uh, 
it's it's generosity on a level that you don't see every year and it puts you in the christmas spirit for sure yeah yeah, yeah i saw your post about that and i was gonna bring that up but yeah uh, yeah that that i thought maybe that was the watch you had on right there Oh no! This is this this, this is a. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wear a watch that has my own name on it. That just, that's so so pretentious and superficial. That's what time like, is it? Oh, look, look, look. <laughs> right, right. Do people ask me that all the time? I'm like, because dude, because I just feel like a like like someone that I'd want to slap the shit out of. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. I, I'm very proud of my watches, but no, you're not going to see me out in public wearing my own name name brand watch. But uh. It's, I, there's got to be a bad luck omen to that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but no, this is actually the watch that my uh, mom and dad gave me as a high school graduation gift. Oh, nice. So, yeah. White Station Spartans. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much more yeah, of your time. Of course, man. It's um, fun. A couple of questions <laughs> I'd like to ask you. What's your advice for people and what mark do you see yourself leaving on the world? Advice for people just in general? Yeah, just in general. Yeah. Uh, Take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself so seriously. You know, those are uh, wise words. Of everybody needs to just relax a little bit and, and, and take, again, find the passion and be the best that you possibly can be. It's very simple, you know. Not a whole lot to search for. You know, I don't care if your passion is underwater basket weaving or, you know, music, finance, business, whatever. Find it and mm. do it and be the best, you know. Um, and if there's competition in the way, you know, just understand for the same reasons that you'll never see a gazelle destroy a lion. It's no different in the natural world, business world, you know? So don't go up against the lion. If you're, if you intend on being a gazelle, that's why that's advice. perfect. Right, Cause us lions, we will tear your ass apart. <laughs> 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 and what was the second question? Uh, what mark do you see yourself leaving on the world? I just, you know, the, the, the immortality of music, you know, it's, it's, you know, it'd be great to have like, I don't know what it's like to have a platinum selling album. That might be kind of cool, but you know, the goal's already been met being that I've already received some messages when I was in on a dead machine of some kids in high school saying like, dude, you, you know, your music got me through some, some tough times. You know, I'm like that right there is a goal in itself. I don't know what tough times mean, but I've had tough times and I've listened to, you know, Jeff Buckley's gotten me through some shit. That's for sure. You know, uh, there's a, there's a lot of things that, you know, of, of, that I've gotten through with a soundtrack to it. And if that soundtrack wasn't there, I, I don't know if I'd have gotten through it, you know? Uh, I guess the immortality of making some sort of piece of music that outlives me, you know, mm. and might actually you know, go down generation to generation because, you know, um, I know some underground bands that right now, I mean, if I had a kid, it would definitely be about third or fourth generation, like, you know, bad brains and <laughs> those, those bands that talk about some humble beginnings, you know, uh, their music will never die. So I guess that's the goal. Maybe that one song that, you know, 200 years from now, like, God, who the hell was this dude? You know, mm -hmm. that might be the one link to someone giving a shit enough to look up. You know? That'd be awesome. <laughs> right. Man. So I guess, I guess that's the goal. But, you know, uh, uh, if there, but, but really, you know, I, 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 the goal I think everyone has is just to find out who you are, you know? Yeah. And I, I know who I am. I'm not in anyone's way that I, that I know of, you know, and nobody's in mine. So, you know, we'll, uh, <clears throat> We'll see where it goes, but uh, but not. I mean, it's been an awesome path so far. But I don't know. It's it's a tough question as far as a generalized goal. <laughs> you 
not be a dick. Because, uh, that's about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, because like you, I love how you mentioned Jeff Buckley because I had never heard of him until it was like 2012, 2013. My friend Lauren told me about him. She played a thing was like Lover. You should have come yeah, over. Lover, you should have come over. Yeah. It's like such a beautiful song, man. I was like, who is this guy? And she's like, yeah, he went swimming in the Mississippi and then mm-hmm. unfortunately passed. Mm-hmm. I was like, that guy was really fucking talented. No, Jeff Buckley was a dude that like you know. Take a date back to your house and yeah. then he's put on that wreck. Well, not in the night. In the <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, if, yeah, put, yeah, skip Alleluia because that's kind of a buzzkill song. <laughs> but, you know, he, he had some, he had some incredibly beautifully, you know, written, and his range was unbelievable. Yeah. And his father was kind of like a somewhat famous, you know, musician um, in the 70s. He was a mm. folklore musician. He had one song that was like graphically about sex, I think. Oh, really? Like, yeah, yeah. So it was kind of somewhat controversial, but, uh, but yeah. Um, I don't know. We, uh, as far as singer songwriters, you know, uh, Jeff Buckley and Eva, uh, Eva Cassidy, who Eva Cassidy was one of the best female singers of all time. No one knows about her. I had so, to look that up. I've never heard. cancer took her before. Really? Well, I mean, a lot of people know about her. But, yeah. You know. She's just one of those ladies that, like, you know, there's just certain musicians where, like, just I'm gonna send you a link, and every person that I've sent this link to has been like, "Holy shit!" You wow. know, I want that song played at my funeral. You know? Damn. So she she was one of those for sure. And so I got two other questions. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think happens when we die? And who would you like to give flowers to? Who would I like to give flowers to? I'll start with that. Uh, I my my girl every day, all day. Her name is April. She's an angel, and you know that is uh, it's amazing. It's a, uh, or ironic that you say flowers. Uh, I genuinely believe uh, uh, that when you die, you go to a beautiful place, you know, where these flowers might actually coincide this conversation. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, simply because uh, you know I'm a I'm a Christian man, so my my uh, my beliefs in the afterlife, you know, I think pretty pretty self-explanatory to a certain degree uh you know i think reincarnation could possibly be a thing you know why not repurpose uh i think uh, i believe in heaven and hell for sure uh but uh, you know i i I think that's part of the admission i'm not afraid of death Mm. by any means uh simply because that's just kind of one of the freedoms of of really 100 percent being in in entwined with your faith is kind of part of its knowing I'm very sad when I when I lose a friend. I lost a friend last week, but I know it's like, look, man, we're all going to the same place. You just got there a little bit before me. Yeah, you know, I'll be there right after. And there's a lot of people up there that I'd like for you to check on. <laughs> so, I, I genuinely think that the relationships we have here, you know, will go ahead and find their way towards us, whether it be through reincarnation, you know, uh, maybe the same connections we have through different people and different entities. Who knows, you know. Uh, but all I do know is that I don't know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I'm cool with that. You know, the, we'll, we'll find out one day, but I just don't believe that, you know, it just, it's just all, you know, uh, yeah, one day you won't be. And that'll be that. Like, yeah. well, what was the purpose of this? All right. <laughs> so, yeah, so. Well, I think that kind of plays into what you said earlier, but, but not being a dick though. Yeah. Cause if we don't know, and you know, this is your current, yeah. then try to do the best with your current. Absolutely. Why, why would I mean it's, it's kind of doom and gloom? Like if, if I didn't think anything was next, I'd probably be a little concerned. You yeah, know? Uh, I don't see there any reason to be concerned because uh, you know I've, I've 
I've witnessed people cross over that plane before some out of, uh, in an untimely manner and some, uh, in a, in a way in which it was time, you yeah. know, uh, some can be graceful, some not so much, but, uh, I don't know, man. Um, I think that's the biggest question that unfortunately has caused them some of the biggest amounts of death mm. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's that kind of diving down that rabbit hole you know uh, uh, enough uh, i guess it gets to a point of fear with some people that they kind of retaliate in an, in an angry way maybe i have no idea to me it's just a mystery that's left for me a little bit uh you know i i, I, mean, I don't really want to know i yeah. think I, <laughs> you know what i'm saying like uh yeah. I had a friend, he just died. I think he died on sorry, Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. They found out he had passed away. And then I've been seeing people outpouring of love and stuff on, on social mm-hmm. media. But it's like, are were you giving that person that same type of love and of admiration while they're here? That's what I'm saying. Like the whole flowers thing. Like you should appreciate people while they're here because we don't know if we can talk to them ever again. Of course. For well, at least 100%, you know? So sure. I think that's the thing, like. And also, I think that, too, should make us want to do more with our time because we see when people's time gets cut short. And it's like, why would you want to not make the best of your life? Mm-hmm. And you see this person, I guarantee you they would swap places with you. Right. You know, so. I still just can't get over the idea of or just, I can't get over how many suicides has, have been. I mean, that number is just going up astronomically. And I mean, I. I I don't know what the culprit could possibly be. Yeah. You know, a, a friend of mine, uh, she's the bass player of, uh, of a, a friend of mine yeah. recently, recently, uh, lost his life. And I don't know. I, I heard that it was potentially, you know, that kind of a situation. And it just absolutely breaks my heart because I think back 20 years ago, this is one of the sweetest kids ever, mm. you know, like just, just where, what happened, how between then and now, you know, what, what the, the study of that, I think, is something that, you know, we should be focusing on for sure more than anything rather than, you know, uh, I, I don't know, we, we piss away so much resources and so much financial aid on stuff that to make us look good, you know, or make us, uh, kind of champion ourselves in, in a certain way when it really comes down to like, there's clearly, uh, some, I mean, between an opioid pandemic, which I, you can link those together suicide and opioids i'm sorry that's just peanut butter and jelly when it comes to catastrophe you know just the uncomfortable conversations never happen because the conversations are run by some of the wealthiest people in this country you know well well, getting back to the part where you said about like the depression i guess and the suicidal tendencies Mm -hmm. and especially i think in men i don't know when there has to be a wake up call for men to be like, Hey, I need to be able to talk about these things I'm dealing with right. instead of taking it into their own hands to get away from the pain that they're having. And there's man, there's a study that came out, you know, the African American male suicide rate is the highest it's ever been mm. in the his in history. I want to say, uh, the explanation, I mean, I, I'm not an African American, so I really have no basis yeah. to say to say that on, but there's some, they're, they're trying to do studies to figure out what's the reason for that. You yeah. know, uh, it's, I don't know where the, you know, the, the, the information that leads A to B on something like that is so beyond my, my reach or, or realm simply because I just know Memphis, mm. you know, uh, I've traveled a bit, but it's been a while, but I've been stuck on my little bubble here in Memphis and, I'm around communities that are, you know, 
all walks of life uh, that seem for the most part to really get along, you know, but that's so overshadowed by all the communities, you know, around that need help that are just clearly not getting it. Yeah. You know, it's sad. Like I said, that somebody just, maybe they can't go to their friends or their family, or maybe they don't have somebody in general. They just don't have somebody to talk to. Maybe they did have somebody to talk to, or maybe if they had other people to look up to that are other, they're open with their, their emotions and feelings and say, okay, that's something that I can do too. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be this stoic man all the time. I don't think there's anything wrong with being stoic, but I think there is a point where if it's affecting you to the point where you want to check out, then that's when it's an issue. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, how do you judge it? How, how can you tell, you know, the, the, a dear friend of mine, you know, who was in a band with me as well. I've had two band members pass away and, and, uh, uh, uh both from suicide, yeah. you know? Um, and then, uh, the last God, the, the last, um, tour that I was on, uh, we've lost three, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just, just the last tour. One guy, you know, there's suspicion of foul play by his wife murdered him. And one was, you know, what happens when you take people that are addicts and you put them on the road, you know, and they actually, believe it or not, a lot of people stay sober on the road, mm-hmm. you know. It's when they're stuck in an apartment out of work for two years. That's that's when they're going to overdose. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately that, uh, I got tired of losing them over COVID, man. It was just my phone ring, you know, just every other day it would be another one. You know? Damn, man. So it's just, it's just, uh, that's, uh, we got a lot of legwork, you know, to make up in the music business. We got a lot of, you know, a lot of, we got to move on. It's kind of like being a, being a battle, you know, it's time to, you know, respectfully, almost like bury your dead and get back out there and you're to the battle again, respectfully, you know, uh, cause it's, uh, it, it was almost, it was the death of a lot of clubs. It was the death of a lot of bands at the same time though, you know, um, you can view it as that or, you know, be doom and gloom about it. But those are just facts, you mm-hmm. know? Um, or you can look at a band like as a band spirit box <clears throat> didn't know who they were before COVID, that band basically put together a project and launched it over COVID having never really played shows or anything. And they generated millions of dollars worth of revenue because their songs were that good. They were marketed correctly. So, I mean, you know, entertainment, you know, to answer your question about, you know, or going back to entertainment, you don't have to even have a stage anymore to be successful in the music business. If you focus everything on, on the internet and nothing more. But to me, from just a musician to another musician, I would be like, doesn't that sound just boring as shit? <laughs> you know, like just, I enjoy playing video games as much as the next guy. But you know, if the future of the music business is me staring at a computer screen, looking at numbers, dude, I'm just going to grab a guitar and get my little condo downtown and you'll see me on bill street. I'll be sound as a pound. <laughs> I'm staying out of that shit. <laughs> yeah. Cause also from like a musician's point of view, like it's not the same when you're playing for on Facebook live or, Zoom for people, and you know, they, and they're vimoing you and shit, right? Like right. having the people in front of you physically is where it's all about. 100%. I would, I would think. Sure, yeah. I mean, a drummer can keep a good beat, but if the drummer looks rad keeping that beat, you're gonna want to watch that drummer. Same yeah. with the guitarist, you know. 
a guitarist doesn't have to, you know, bang his head or shake his pelvis or her, his or her pelvis rather, uh, you know, to play the guitar. They, they want to show you, they want to give you a show, you know, that's, uh, that, that's, uh, <clears throat> they want you to feel the energy, you know, even if it is some Tom Petty, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the, these cover bands, you know, that they, they don't get any kind of respect, you know, the, the respect that they should, as far as, you know, I know they're at a wedding, but you know that that guy toured with Metallica, you know, cause I mean, I, there's a dude plays weddings every now and then. Dude, hell, he co-wrote uh, "Built This City on Rock and Roll," man. Uh, I mean, there's dudes uh, uh, in a cover band in Memphis that I, you know, toured Japan, toured England. Uh, you know, just just uh, had Grammy nods, stuff like that. D- the Pete Mandillo got a grant. I want to say he got a Grammy nod or something for. And he, he toured with some of my favorite artists growing up as a kid, and uh, that dude. You know, he's played, he'll play the same stages I play, you know, Rock House Live or, you know, Hadley's The Mulligan, something like that. But you got a dude back there behind a drum kit who's played arena. He was a drummer for Survivor, too. I mean, this dude's played arenas. Wow. Damn, that's yeah. fucking impressive. Yeah. Right, like, enjoy your Guinness beer and your fries. But that dude right there, <laughs> believe it or not, is a world-class drummer, you know. And that's kind of the beauty of Memphis. You yeah. Know? They can go to Nashville, get a job, get but why? Why? You know, want to be a big fish in a small pond? You know, it's, it's a, you know, Pete Mandela's beloved drummer and Pee Wee Jackson. I mean, that's, that's when I go up to an event and I see Pee Wee Jackson behind the kit, I'm like, well, I'm staying because this is going to be like the best. I mean, this, it doesn't matter if he's playing brown eyed girl, it's going to sound amazing Mm because it's Pee Wee Jackson. He's got a style of his own, you know? So that's just kind of the, we got some gems in the city for sure. So where can everybody find you at? Oh man. If I'm not at the jewelry shop, (laughs) uh, you go to IcarusPlan.com, uh, just Google the Icarus Plan. It'll, it, 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 you better be able to see it quickly because the, the ad revenue <laughs> better pay off. But, but no, you can follow us. Uh, we have the, the YouTube, uh, YouTube channels, uh, of course. Uh, we have channels on, on all of it. Uh, there's really not a, a, uh, music platform that out there that I know of that doesn't have our music attached to it in one way, shape or form. So, but we are about to, you know, distribute it on an international level, uh, see where it goes, you know, and, and, uh, excited to see people respond to it. We have faith that it's, uh, it's going to do well. Uh, but I'm just, I, I, I'm excited to watch it grow just like anything else. And do you have anything you can play for us? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, 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 we have a full length record that's up, been uploaded to Spotify. Uh, but yeah, sure. I'd, I'll play for you our most popular song. Um, <clears throat> actually, I started messing with this song, God, when a long time ago. And so this is a, basically a re, okay. It's a sliding adapter connected to pair other device, I guess. Okay. Should I just, just play? Mm-hmm. All right. This is, it's called the way down. Hey man, don't be so shy. Keep 
Impressive, man. Thanks, man. That's really good. So, how'd you, how'd you, what, what was the inspiration to write that? You could, did you write that? Um, started off with like, you know, it's just a guitar riff, and yeah, mi- mixed with a, you know, kind of a drum pattern I had in, in my head, and then went in there and <clears throat> Dave Cowell put bass down on it and a uh, little bit of lead guitar. I basically did rhythm, played the drums, and then yeah, Brian just came up and threw down those vocals. You know, you listen to it on the car on the ride right on the way up, basically, is how that works. And, Jeez. Uh, you know, we normally we'll spend a week in the studio, and every time we're, we're there Monday to Thursday or Monday to Friday, uh, we normally are good for three songs. You know, uh, front to back Monday through Friday session. So I go in there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We do the music for song one, song two, song three, and then Bron sings for two days straight, Thursday and Friday. So he's, he's he can he can sing perfectly three songs in two days. You know, I can put down the music in about three days. Okay, so, man, awesome. that's quick. That sounds like really fast. We've done that enough times to do the full length record, and we've done that three times last year since why mm. this record, the last three songs, which you know, finishing up, we're all we all co songwriters because Bron's now at the point now where you know he's got the equipment, uh, uh, he's been doing it long enough now to where he learned the equipment to send demos over as well, or you know, is is kind of a new he's never stopped playing but you know there's kind of a a learning curve getting back into like demoing stuff out because that technology is changing every daily uh so <clears throat> yeah i'll send him demos and he'll send me back some demos as well and we'll just work on it but it's a creative process shared between three people you know uh, the producer and and the two of us that's awesome man and what's that song called again the way down 
I like that. I really like that a lot. Thanks. We have a lyric video that was actually made by a company in the UK. Did a fantastic job on it. But it's up on YouTube. You should check it out. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. It's well, a good gym song, man. Yeah, I've been yeah. getting back into the gym, and I'm definitely going to listen to that when I do my cardio. We have some heavier stuff. We have a song called uh, Castle for a King, which a music video is going to be coming out. It's, it's quite riffy. If you're like a, <laughs> if you're like a death, if you're a Deftones, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you're into that stuff, yeah, get your blood going a little bit. I think you would you would you would like that one. Right, I'll definitely check it out. Like yeah. I said, I appreciate your time. Yeah, man. Of course, thank man. you so much for coming, bro. Yeah, thank you guys, man. You guys, uh, I, again, I've been I've been y'all been setting a standard for what y'all are doing. That's why you know, uh, not that's not why I'm here for several reasons. <laughs> I'm here, but it's inspiring to see. You know, it's been growing a lot. I mean, that is ironically enough. Uh, you're talking about Richard Johnson. I was telling I saw him just the other day. I was like, yeah, I'm doing a podcast. Uh, uh, my buddy, you know, Raul was like, oh, linked up. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's. He's like, oh yeah, I love that. Let's do it all the time. I'm like, okay, <laughs> shit, that's really cool, nice man. guy, right man. Oh yeah, y'all he, should have him. You said his Brad's friend? No, it's um, uh, Mike that works down at Atomic with Brad. Yeah, you should. Y'all should have Richard on his story. He said he wants to start a podcast. That's how we started talking. Yeah, should, yeah, should. Oh, he's he's a, you like him. He's a good. He's he's. Smart. And I've seen his stuff. He posts online. And he does mm-hmm. some good work. Man. He does incredible work. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you again. Thank you again for having me. Yes, sir. Appreciate, Appreciate you, man. You, man. Yeah, man. Thank right, you. We'll see you around.